I'm having my one! Welcome to episode 40 of the I'm Having My One podcast. This week, we've got part two of our best of 2023, so sit back and enjoy all those top moments from last year. Speak to you at the end. Bye. I'm very glad that uh, the chaps have all agreed to play what must be one of my favourite board games of all time. Root by Cole Worley, artwork by Carl Ferrin and published by Leader Games. This is a proper asymmetric war game with a kind of cutesy facade uh, where all the factions play completely differently uh, and have multiple different victory point scoring conditions. The first team to reach 30 points will emerge victorious. Uh, but this isn't a game where you can charge off to an early lead as you'll likely be brought down and decimated. Uh, so it's important to build your strength and wait for the opportune moment to enact your master plan. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, the base game supports two to four players, but there are multiple expansions now, uh, adding, uh, adding extra factions to the map. So how do we rate this game? Let's start off with our guests. Seb, let's come to you first. What do you think? I, I love it. It's great. There's loads of things I like about board games is loads of interaction um lots of strategy and tactics lots it's just fun um and let's cut to the chase there's lots shafted. of running around and punching each other which is right up your alley <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah until you get shafted by Neil <laughs> um, but yeah it, 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 that's just a, a feature of games that I play with you so uh I quite I, I, lo- I love playing it great game I would I'd be always, always up for playing that game. And Reese, what did you think? Really good, actually. It's it's a game that's kind of growing on me more as I play it. I mean, I've I've only played it maybe five times now, um, and my initial thoughts were, I didn't I didn't like the fact that kind of one person could run away with it so quickly. But interestingly, like what you're saying there, Neil, you, you've got to bide your time. And I think maybe more experienced players who have played it. A number of times which maybe i haven't played with in the past we were a bit newer to 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 root you'd have one person who's just gunning for it all the time and then you know they 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 just ran away with it or they got trampled and someone else ran away with it in the process so i felt maybe there was a little less of that in the game we just played because we're a bit better at playing it perhaps i really enjoyed it it was good what are the things that you kind of what are the things that you like most about it um I think the asymmetry of the game makes it incredibly interesting. Um, you know, tracking, trying to track what other people are doing and trying to work out where their strengths lie. Um, you know, like I could tell from 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 your faction, Neil, which were were they the the, the so the the moles are the creature, but they're called the underground duchy. But yeah, that's it, the underground duchy. Um, so you had a kind of engine building thing, right? That if if somebody, but if somebody knocks part of that engine out, it really knocks you back in your your kind of progress. And I guess I had this, a similar kind of faction in that you build it up to a certain point because I was playing the Woodland Alliance. Um, and as long as you're getting enough sympathy out, then you can kind of get the higher scoring sympathy points out. So it's kind of an engine building in that kind of way. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the different having the different factions working in different ways, you know, the cats uh, being a more traditional kind of play style, the uh, the eerie dynasty having that that kind of more programming based where you just kind of run through the same program. I think that's great. And I and I really enjoy a, a game with a lot of conflict and a lot of chaos in it as well. I think it's good fun. And it's a short game as well. So it's one of those games where you just for me certainly, like half of the juice of this is just 
tinkering with the factions, learning how they work, kind of multiple playthroughs with the same faction, trying to kind of work out the best or the most enjoyable way of playing them, who's going to react with who. And, you know, no two playthroughs are ever the same. I think the Woodland Alliance are one of those. You know, you're kind of always going to be chipping away with them. You know, it's always going to be like spread sympathy if you can build a base. But even if not, you know, you know that the Woodland Alliance are going to score two or three VPs every single turn just from getting a couple of, you know, one card sympathies mm. out whereas you know teams like the cats or, or or the vagabond is always a complete wild card you know are they going to go for an alliance win are they going to go for an alliance win and stab the other person in the back at the last minute are they going to go for just getting their vps from quests are they going to go for being friends with everyone and getting loads of vps that way so paul you played the uh the vagabond this evening tell us how it went badly <laughs> um, didn't go too badly <laughs> all right. i got about halfway and then kind of stopped um I kind of lost track of really what I was trying to trying to achieve. I was trying to do too many of the things, and I think I should have focused on one. I think or two. That's a perennial problem with the vagabond. You just it's so easy to get distracted by doing different things. Yeah, and then Tom attacked me, and so rather than carrying on with my tactics, uh, I viciously attacked him back. Because at that point, for, for because no... at that point you're in in the in the lead, right? So it, this is always the thing about route is you've got to be. Um, trying to to keep some some even balance uh, across the, the factions but you took it personally i did <laughs> attacked you straight back which which was the wrong choice and i apologize wholeheartedly that's all right don't worry <laughs> we all enjoyed it paul so you know <laughs> all all of those have finished at the top of the half of the board all the yeah. spectators enjoyed it <laughs> the, the innocent bystanders and yeah. so, Tom, you were playing as the Eerie Dynasty. How did uh, how did you find it this evening? I do really like the, the birds. I know you complained in the past, Paul, about maybe just always playing playing as them, but I I do find them an interesting faction because they do tap into something that I love in board games. Board games in the way in which you you do program it out. In fact, I'm going to do this that allows me to you know you're thinking turns ahead to be able to achieve something. It was very long. You know, that was one thing. It, was, it took us a very long time to play with that that many players, partly, I think, because we, we haven't played this for, for some months, um, at least. So it was it was a very, very long game. And yes, agree on the on the chaos element. Like what you were saying, Paul, about the, the little um, head-to-head that we had is that it, it, it's a bit of a... We talked about it before, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much, but it is a little bit of a problem that is within the game that we've spoken about, mostly in reference to other games, I think that if if you do get um beaten up in the game and something goes wrong and for the for the eerie it's a sort of weird faction isn't it because you uh, they are the only faction who can actually go backwards on the scoreboard and so if you are attacked and your faction goes into what's called turmoil where you can't complete your programmed out actions uh you then start to go backwards no it's not it's not to say you can't recover from that um but it is difficult, I think, to well. Certainly, I found. Let me talk about my own experience in this game. I found it difficult in this game to then catch up again, which is a bit problematic. I think. I think they're one of those factions that, if you get pegged back too early, I think, I think it's very difficult to gain any sort of momentum. I don't know that I did though. I don't think it was necessarily that it was no. too early. It was. It was just that. I mean, I, I had been unlucky. One of the things that you're doing with this, right? So, so you're programming it out and you're praying to get the blue wild cards that you can play anywhere because otherwise you're, you're constraining yourselves to having the right factions to be able to do stuff. I'd also misunderstood a, a rule from, again, not playing it for a while. When it's turmoil, 
turmoil twice in like three, four turns or something like that, which which didn't help. Um, but not having the bird cards, those blue bird cards that allow you to play whatever sort of action you want, you the want. set of actions that you can do unrestrained was was quite limiting. Again, you, you can, you know, I think a skillful bird player, a bird faction player, eerie faction can can get around that. I'm just not a skillful area faction. I think I think personal preference. If because there's like there's like a, a stem picker, right? Like a, a recommended, they call it a reach system where you kind of work out which factions should be included in the game based on the number of players. And I think with five, you can almost play with any combo you want. But if I had been the last to pick, or, or basically, I, th- I think the birds are probably the faction that I would drop from the core set the quickest because they can be fun, but I think they're also the yeah. faction that can suffer the most from things that are kind of outside the player's control. I think um, I haven't given this much thought up until this moment, but I wonder if the Woodland Alliance need a peg back mechanic because once they get going, they're unstoppable. They are. Yeah, they're, they're easy mode, aren't they? Easy? They are easy mode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Foreshadowing there, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, uh yeah it's a great true. faction i love i love being the woodland alliance i wonder if maybe as bases get destroyed kind of like kind of like turmoil there should be a bit of a victory point loss as well that would maybe we'll see yeah it seems seems unfair that they they have that victory point loss when a similar thing happens to the woodland alliance where they have a base taken out you just lose half your officers and a couple of cards and that's it whereas you're losing victory points that you've worked quite hard to get right um but but then again, but then again, the more roosts you have, correct me if I'm wrong. The more roosts you have, the more right. victory points you earn. So you every can get turn. the points very quickly. Absolutely. So you can, Absolutely. you know, if you're if if you're up there, you you can get them quite quickly. And and it's again, I'm not I'm not completely okay with the rules, but um, when you're programming it, you can either play one bird card or or two non-bird cards. Is that right? You can play up to two cards, one of which can be a bird. Ah, one of which can be a bird. Okay, so so you could you could in theory just only play birds if you were lucky enough to get a a hand. <laughs> yeah, a hand of birds. Yeah. Answer, then, yeah, yeah. And the the balance of that is that when you enter turmoil, you go back a number of victory uh, back a number of victory points according to the number of bird cards in your engine. Okay. Yes. Wow. Okay. You yeah, are right, Reese. The the point like of of how you can. If you are set up well and you have taken a, a decent early lead, then the number of areas that they sorry roosts that you have out, um, you can start to just run away with it because you're scoring every single turn. It's not mm. like other factions where it's based on building something or doing something. It's as long as you have those roosts out, you'll every turn score three, four, five points, whatever it is, as long as you manage to prevent them from being destroyed. And when yeah. they so I guess pick. that's that's the counteract, right? Is that the reason why they have this way to peg them back is that in theory they could absolutely run away with it. So I, I played as the underground duchy as the moles, and I, that's probably the third or fourth time I played as them. And I think they're an absolute hoot to play. They're so much fun with the whole kind of the borrow mechanic and the the thing about playing those those leaders into into the game um, and then kind of building your actions. So you start off only having two actions, but then by playing your leaders and your lords and your dukes and stuff, you can um, you can build those up. Um, I think I think everyone would probably agree you're the the best part of the game was when you landed your little tunnel next to Seb's keep. Um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know from from a point of watching uh, another another player play, it was really entertaining. You could almost, yeah, we didn't have any cameras on, but you could almost see like the palpable, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Seb, how did that make you feel? 
<laughs> uh, I'm used to it now. You, Neil. <laughs> you started it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I left the back door wide open for you to go through there, and I feel like that was a mistake that was the catalyst for Reese's victory, which occurred however many turns later, because the boot that I had very firmly on his neck was just utterly released at that point, and okay. he was just able to build bases, spread sympathy wherever Ellie liked, because... I was no longer able to put him down where he belongs. <laughs> but I was still enjoying it up to that point. But I knew that once <laughs> you'd gone in and just raided my home base, I was like, yeah, I'm screwed now. But <laughs> I was, you were but, I was but you know, the, the, the dice roll was pretty lucky there because I didn't get your keep. And then you were able to keep your field hospital. Yeah, that's true. You yeah. really kind of made the most of that throughout the rest of the game. So yeah, I was. I just wasn't able to score victory points at that point, um, and I just kind of stopped in my victory point pursuit. I was had loads of troops on the board, but couldn't do anything effective with them from that point. Um, so I just decided that I'm just going to attack you from that point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we've kind of we've kind of compared roots uh, to having roots. No pun intended um in in kind of in in some of the coin games that we've played so tom paul how do we feel that being as a statement i mean i feel like you could very very easily redress this as you know as as, as any kind of great conflict instead of it being cute little animals and, and and i think it would kind of have traction as a really really good asymmetrical war game yes i think there's some clear links to those um coin series of games no doubt about that the i think there's They've looked to simplify them to a certain extent anyway. I think that learning something, particularly on this, maybe like Cuba Libre that we have done, I think maybe it maybe is simpler. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. It's simpler, but it's richer, isn't it? It's, you know, because because they aim for, obviously it, it ran a little long today because it'd been a while since we've all played and we were on TTS. You know, when you're familiar with the game, it's fresh in your memory and you're playing at the table. You can normally bosh these out in an hour, hour and a half. Um, so it's never going to have the depth that the a coin game is going to have right like and but but yes. the one thing that I I think I, I think that's what I mean is that it's lighter in that sense but yeah um any negatives so uh I'm going to lead with one of the ones that uh it can often get a bit kingmakery right there's often two people or, or at least two people kind of up in front and if if you get a chance to stop one succeeding the second then often tap dances over the finish line or the, the next person to act gets to tap dance over the finish line and i feel like if we'd you know done something you know decimating to reese then i think there was a, a better chance of me just being able to kind of walk it in for, for 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 the second place win i think yeah whenever there's been that situation of games that we've played where there's been two people near the top i mean sometimes it doesn't happen right you just have one person who just shoots ahead and that's it but um, so yeah, I would say in the majority of the games have played a route. There's a couple of people who are vying for it, and in the last few turns, a way of doing that. And I felt a little bit it was a negative that I wrote down myself here is the king making that I don't think it's slightly self-aggrandizing that I had the power left at the end of that game to do that. But I did have the option of who I was going to attack, whether it was you, Neil, or Reese, and I went with you as you were currently ahead at that time. Um, who knows whether it would have made an difference to Reese if I'd taken out one of his sympathy tokens? I don't know, but. I wonder if destroying sympathy is is the wrong way to go for the Woodland Alliance because they can just then get it back so cheap for one victory point at a go. Maybe it's better to just leave them and say, right, well, if you want it, 
you've got to you've got to. I, pay I don't know that it is though, because long because later in the game, generally later in the game, there's a lot of pieces on the board, and it's very expensive to have to put two cards in every time. Then that martial yeah. law rule, right? Is normally it's just one card um, to to play. Well, it sort of depends actually, doesn't it? Because it depends on the level of sympathy you're doing. But the base, uh, your, your first couple of sympathy that tokens that you play is on the board is one card. But if a single faction has three or more units in that uh, clearing that you're trying to play that into, you have to play another one. And then so at two, that's three cards. And three at four, that's a very expensive mm-hmm. way of doing that. So I guess it slightly depends on the, the, the game state. Yeah, I was really lucky at the end of that game in that you'd taken a bit of a hammering tom and seb had taken a bit of hammering which kind of cleared some of the clearings one of a better word um which meant that i could put the sympathy in there cheaply without having to pay you know too many cards um so yeah it was it was a timing thing you're right you're absolutely right though you know tom you could have attacked me instead of attacking neil and you know that probably would have meant that i wouldn't have got that extra sympathy taken out and then Neil would have yeah, would have taken it. I feel like this game was quite like till till well over the halfway point. We were all kind of similar peggings. We were all quite closely mm-hmm. matched together in 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 points. You know, Neil very tactfully held back on his points, um, and then was way behind, and then just kind of all of a sudden blasted past everyone. Um, but but otherwise, I think it was a I think it was a really kind of close knit game up until the last kind of two two turns three turns and then it and then it kind of tailed off. All right, it, so... it is a game of cut and thrust, isn't it? So if if you you have to you have to mess other people up to go for the win, like and not everyone could be in the running once those moves start are made. So if you are that person who gets to make that move first, it's awesome. Time, if, you, time, if you get time... cut down, it's not. Yeah. Awesome. One day I will exact my revenge. Um, all right, let's go with you all that you're on my screen. That's starting off with you, Paul. Scores on the doors. I think it's a difficult one for me because I love the asymmetry, but you know, you compared it to the coin games. I'd much rather play play a coin game over root. Not to say I'm not happy to play root, but I think overall for me, I'm probably going to give it a seven point four. So I, I scored Clank 7.5. Oh, this knocks the socks off of Clank. Oh, I don't know. I'm being biased. I'm being biased. You, you, you're you a young independent woman. You can go with whatever you want. But <laughs> I scored Stone Age 7.5 as well. And I think I would rather play either of those games. And if I was going to play something slightly asymmetric, I'd rather play a coin game. Fair enough. Reese, you're up next on my screen. I would give it a... So, yeah, I think it would have been a 7.5. Maybe it's because Seb lost so badly. I'm giving it an 8. I mean, there was a lot of enjoyment, as I said, seeing your tunnel pop up right next to his backdoor keep and then just bashing that in. Uh, I really enjoyed that. It was good. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely definitely giving it an 8 based off the last game that we had. Seb, what's your (laughs) final verdict if I were to lock you in for a score? Uh, I'm an 8.5. I absolutely love winning this game, but yeah, losing it's 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 a really disappointing thing. Like you can play other games where like you still you you thought you've been with a chance right to the end because you don't know anyone scores, but this one when I know when I'm ahead and I'm winning, I'm I'm loving it and I'm loving lording it over <laughs> everyone. It's great. I still enjoyed the game, just just not this one as much. Yeah, because <laughs> of a, a shafting. But yeah. there we are, uh, Tom. Scores on the doors. My opinions haven't changed on this a lot. Uh, 
of what we said in in the the last year's worth of podcasts of this. Um, this was once the greatest game I've ever played when I first played it. The asymmetry of it, the setting, the art, absolutely wonderful. And I've I played it now thirty five times. I've seen, including playing it on on the app as well. However, I think that in the time since we first encountered this game, and Neil, you introduced us to it three years ago. I've just played so many more games that I think move beyond root and I think tackle some of the problems that we've talked about. Um, that I think I'm in a very different place with it now. Um, I'm going to, again, like have to bring it back to the coin games as one of those that I've experienced most recently that I think does a very, very good job of that. And I, I like Paul, I think, would always prefer to play one of those over yeah. this. So I think if we go back where I was, this is an eight, nine out of 10 sort of game. I think now I'm afraid it's a like a 6.5 out of 10 kind of game. I've changed quite radically on it. I just don't think this game is as fun as I did three years ago. Okay. Is that because you lost so badly? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, it's it's a good point, right? Is that... <laughs> is that I think, and this is one that, that that you said as well, is that I think when you're winning, you're having a great time with this game. And if you're not, you're kind of just waiting, mm. as we've already said, for someone else to win. And I speak as someone, like, we look at the podcast scores, I very rarely win. I won the first one we ever played and then retired, it would seem, because I don't think I've won barely anything since on there. So I don't win very often. But this game, when you're not winning... I'd actually go as far as to say it gets to the point where it's a bit boring because you aren't really doing anything and it's difficult to be able to have much impact on the game. And I think that, if I'm describing a game like that, I have to give it what is below what I would consider a good score mm. of a seven. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So they're, they're all they're all good points. For me, I'm still just captivated by the magic of Root. I would play this far more frequently if I could. Um, the only thing that I would agree to disagree with your guys' scorings is that I, for one, would rather play this over a, a coin game. Um, but but yeah, so 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 I sit in a very different gaming compartment to a coin game, which you know, if we're playing Fire in the Lake or something, you need sort of a good three to five hours, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so for what it is, uh, I love the faction asymmetry. I love the artwork. I love I love everything about it. It is one of very few ten out of tens for me, um, and, uh, and that's it's going to stay. It sounds like it's going to be me and Seb playing this two player until the death. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, that was root. On with the next bit. Let's uh, have a quick chat about Undaunted Stalingrad. What to say about this game? Goodness me, it's so good. Um, Neil, you and I have played the full 15 uh, missions now over the last few months. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who wishes to play the game, but uh, what what are your thoughts now we've worked through it? Yeah, so it did happen to go the the full complement of 15 games. I think in certain circumstances it can end slightly before that. Mm -hmm. Um, All leading up to this big crescendo that I kind of, there was there was something in there that you'd been working towards and vying for throughout the campaign. And mm. I wasn't sure what that was all really doing. I thought it was just denoting victories, but actually then there was a level of relevance. I don't know if this is just really 
yeah, I don't want to give anything away here, but I that's think okay. you know, you know yeah. what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's that's obscure enough, I think. Yeah, it's fine. And I think and I think that was great. I'd love to know what that would look like if because actually it ended up being fairly even. Mm. Um it would be interesting to see what that would have looked like if that had just happened to be completely one-sided. That would have been brutal. Mm. It is an um, incredibly well-balanced game, right? It it came down to after 15 missions, literally one point. We worked out, actually, I was quite a bit further away from that final point than you were when you got it. Um, is that an issue? Is it, you know, it, I get that they kind of want to, you know, if you finished after after eight missions or something, are you going to be frustrated that you haven't seen half the components even? Is that a problem that they're, they're trying to do that, do you think? I think, I think battle, you know, it, it is a war game, right? And I think battles can sway. Mm-hmm. And you know, seemingly, uh, you know, there, there's so many, so many occasions in history where the underdog has come through to do something quite incredible, and and it's been the, you know, the turning point of a war or a conflict. So, because yeah. I think I'd won the two prior going into that finale, right? But I wouldn't have felt in any so, way aggrieved yeah. if you'd then, if you'd then won the finale. I don't think, I don't think that even if you like say ten five going into the finale, I don't think that's a ticket for you to just win by 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 default i think mm. i think yeah i think they've done it right that it can still be won on the last battle um i think it's so interesting how those how the various uh unlocks that you get throughout are yeah. are made and, and 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 won and lost over certain battles that you've mm. got no idea what you're fighting for in the in the early instances mm. um how good was um okay tom could you take a moment please and read paragraph <laughs> blah 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 like those um, moments are incredible. oh man yeah and i had one of those but didn't manage to do it because of let me talk about potentially first maybe only issue i've got a few things we can talk about but it's the rifleman route yeah so there is a mechanic and this is no spoiler because this is in um playing old and daunted as well is that it is a tactic if you can't achieve the mission objective or don't want to you can just sit there and blast away at the other person's rifleman as they try and take the different objectives and if you in this game it's called routing where you you remove all of those um those units you've won by default and so because of this being a, a, a hand management deck management game right where you are trying to really as we spoke about before try and keep it as slim as possible so you can get the cards out that you want you kind of don't want to be filling your deck out with loads and loads of riflemen but then you can lose the game even if you're in a reasonably strong position because you just didn't take your opportunity to put those in and we had I would hazard a guess we said lost each of us maybe two, three yeah. games each because of that happening. And it was the one thing we said at the end of the, the whole series of, mm, is that is that a hassle? I don't know how you'd control areas because that's a key mechanic, right? Is the rifleman are the only people who can control uh, objectives. But is that a problem? Like you say, I don't know what the solution is. It's not enough to have marred my enjoyment of uh, the campaign. But there was definitely a tactic of, in, in so many of those, especially because building cover is a thing, right? So if a building can give you an additional three shields of cover, mm. then the tactic is, well, this mission's too hard, so I'm just going to get snipers out, and I'm just going to... Like, the law of averages says that you'll just kill the rifleman by rolling tens, because you're rolling three or four dice every time. Yeah. 
I know this, that's the other thing. It's a good segue. Is are the snipers too powerful? I think they are. We definitely had missions where it was whoever got the right the snipers out first was probably going to win the game because they could just pop, 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 pop the other team's um, units off off the map almost too easily. Yeah, but then you think yeah. thematically, right? Thematically, remember that that super hyper uh, historically accurate. I'm sure film enemy at the gates about the snipers in stalingrad the whole thing was about the danger of those guys right and so uh, thematically maybe it's fine yeah i think i think that that should be the go-to for um for all of the undaunted games going forwards Mm. and and maybe we were not taking enough of a tactical approach to that if somebody's got a sniper you just then get out something to counter it which is maybe just a load of machine gunners that suppress the snipers and then blah 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 yeah and also, you know, I think I think we withdrew on one scenario, maybe two, and that was, you know, when when the scenario was already decided. So I don't know about you, I ended that game, I ended up that campaign with every single rifleman injured. I can't remember, but I would have thought so. And the um, I don't know if that just represents the attrition of war or I don't know if I was too gung ho with everyone, because I wonder if if had I withdrawn more and kind of protected my riflemen more. Yeah, because then you get to the stage where they're they're upgrading by the end of the campaign. And like the last two missions, I didn't upgrade. You couldn't do it. No one could upgrade. Yeah, I I have heard this uh, this this comment elsewhere that this is just such a good thing with this campaign because there are individual units an individual soldier right that you have upgraded that you know that is a good card are you going to risk him and put him into your deck when you know you've got to charge across some open ground that when he gets there it's going to be really useful but on the other hand if he just gets cut down on the way you've just lost one of those 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 10 guys that you can get massively like how clutch were those smoke engineers so good just frustratingly good <laughs> like they 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 made a big impact on every scenario that they were used yeah yeah but if you'd injured one of them it would have been devastating yeah i lo- and I, I think i've said this on one of the uh when we talked about this on the what we've played but the artwork on the cards is so good it is it's brilliant and i and i love how the artwork progresses depending on whether the unit is upgraded or injured Yep. So. Like the dude, the dude who loses his rifle and just has a spade in the next picture. And yeah. Someone has like, a pistol, right? Yeah. And, and someone, it... <laughs> or someone, someone whose who's attack range is limited to a maximum of two. And now they've got an eye patch on. So clearly they can't yeah. see well enough <laughs> fire any further than two squares. Mm. Like it's yeah. so good. It's important to, I think, for anyone who's unfamiliar with this, is this is a light, it's a light war game, right? There, there is no line of sight. There is no, uh, you know, there are things that I think a maybe a more intense tactical war game would be frustrated about, it, like the snipers potentially being OP and the tanks don't have a huge amount of power if they're not fighting other tanks potentially. Again, maybe the way in which we were using them. Um, that doesn't, that's not a problem for me um, at all, but I, I think it's an important point it it is a 10 out of 10 game for me i'd be amazed if it got to the end of this uh, end of the year and this wasn't my game um of of the year yeah i think it's 
It's certainly game of the year. We've had finally that game that we talked about, I think, a couple of episodes ago at least, of War of the Ring. Right. It was so good. It was so good. Fantastic to get it to the table after all that time of having it in my collection, like properly. We'd had a little run through before. Uh, it's just so it's deep, fast, like what you it? can do with it. Yeah. There's so much going on. Um, and it's, gosh, I don't know. Like you, you're absolutely, to explain the, the, the concept here, so anybody's not seen it before, this is this, is in its second edition. It's been around for a long time, so I think people have probably heard of it. But the all of the... Um, movies basically you're playing out in this game so you've got the uh, mechanic of frodo and the the fellowship of the ring gradually making their way to more uh, their way to mordor and being uh gradually corrupted by the power of the, of the ring um and then at the same time you've got all of the different um battles between good and evil going on so you absolutely can just recreate your favorite scenes from the books and, and movies it's hugely thematic and all of this like all of those things you want to recreate the the ride of the rohirrim to to the rescue minister if you can do all that kind of stuff and we did this time it's worth saying as well we did play with that warriors of um of middle earth expansion as well which which just just adds to i think for the most part anyway uh, maybe more on that in a minute um i think i, w- I was just sort of was sort of saying that about recreating your scene your favorite scenes it's something that i've heard said a lot about star wars rebellion but i think with star wars rebellion you you kind of forced down a little bit of a similar route every single time is my feeling and i i think i've expressed opinions before that i find that game a, a little bit flawed with this one though i feel like certainly i was playing as the shadow player as a sauron effectively you you have lots of options i went very more or less what what was in the films but you absolutely could do whatever you want you know you've got units all over the place you could completely just forget ministerith and just go rampaging through the shire and, and kill hobbits yeah it was it was, it was really really good and i enjoyed the expansion i think it did add a, a bit you know to have the, the 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 various extra factions i thought it was really really good i was certainly for our first proper game my agenda was trying to get the ring into mordor um so close i think yeah i'm, I'm a little bit gutted and you know the game was the game i thoroughly enjoyed it but i got to mordor pretty much corruption free but then i just had such a rough time trying to get through there that's terrible terrible luck on that last moment so the the one of the things about the game is you you get the fellowship in whatever capacity whoever's left to mordor and then you've got about five or six step uh to get to uh to throw in the ring in in mount doom and when you're doing that and, and throughout the game at other stages you're drawing blind drawing a chip out of a cup and what's on that that token will determine how much corruption how much uh you know how much the ring is affecting um frodo and how much the ring is is impacting frodo and <laughs> that last draw it was so unlucky like you you <laughs> you really shouldn't it, like it was the you dice did, it was did not deserve exactly you did not deserve this luck at all that on that draw i drew out the one token pretty much that was going to to kill you out of at least 10 12 other tokens that yeah. were there yeah, look, we can always we can always cry foul of uh, of cursed dice, but my goodness me, I, I I feel like I had some rotten luck. 
Yeah, it was a it was a hell of a game. I can't wait to get it. We must get it to the table again soon. Same yep. factions, just kind of go again now that we're kind of getting more of a feel for it. Yeah. The minis we've spoken about before are challenging out of the box. It's very difficult to kind of see, you know, you're looking at it really close to okay is, is that a, a a gondol or a rohan or, or an elf or whatever character those are some negatives to try and be a little bit balanced i absolutely love playing it and i was i was really grateful for the fact that we've managed to get this table and devote the time to to go playing it all the way through it was absolutely fantastic all right cyclades then uh this is a game from matago or Matago, I guess, uh, from all the way back in 2009, which was like a really long time ago, if you think of the insane number of board games that have come out in that kind of 2010 onwards kind of period. Uh, and it's set in the Cyclades Islands in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Greece. Uh, and it contains a lot of islands uh, that people may have heard of, like Santorini, also a board game fame, and Mykonos of uh, Boozy Weekend's fame, I think. You're trying to control areas of the board to gain more resources that allow you to build the two required metropolises to win you the game. Uh, there's an auction mechanic here, recruiting monsters, land and naval combat, uh, a whole load of minis that you've got in there. Loads and loads to discuss on that, of course. Um, so let's just start uh, on the overall impressions. Paul, what do you, what do you think? I really love this game. It's so simple. As a negative, it feels complicated before you start. The, okay. the rule book's quite wordy. You know, it's like, yeah, this is how you kind of set it up. And then there's all of this text. <clears throat> but actually, once you've had a couple of turns, it clicks and you're off and, and you're away. And do you know, I had a lot of fun playing this game. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Neil, what's your your kind of overall first first impressions of this one? Yeah, I think I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think it is, especially if we'd played this back in 2009, I think we'd have been very impressed. <laughs> As always, we view it in the light of just the cornucopia of board games that are uh, available now, right? I think this would have been right about the time where like, I think they would have been some of the pioneers in using some pretty impressive minis as well in terms of the uh, the, the monsters and stuff. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying a little bit like Blood Rage. Um, each of the factions, I think, has unique minis in their ships and uh, and units. I might be wrong on that, but I, I think that's right. And, I nearly and, asked if this was Seamon. Uh, right, it it absolutely could be. It's, it's maybe a good place to to lead on to. Then is that with the the monsters, the monsters mechanic in this game, where you can sort of recruit them in a kind of similar blood rage kind of way um, to give you specialist abilities. Is that useful or is it a a bit of a gimmick, Neil? I think it's good. I think it adds that little bit of extra chaos of not knowing which monster is going to come up. A couple of them allow you to shuffle the discard pile so the same thing can come up again. One of them allows you to uh, directly pull a monster from the discard pile to reuse it. So, uh, Paul Paul did that with the Kraken to, to pretty devastating effect at one point. Yeah. Oh, so I Kraken. think. Oh my god, the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think they are a good addition. As do I think that the randomization of the gods is a good mechanic. So I think those two combined yeah. pair quite nicely to say that 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 actually, 
you're never too far behind or that you can't quite guarantee what's going to happen next. I was certainly the wrong monster could have uh, changed the uh, the end point of the game. Yeah, a last last gasp attempt attempt to to stop you winning. Not that it really would have made me win; it would have just, I think, probably made Paul win instead. But um, we, in that market of of monsters that you have, you, there are options to be able to rotate those a couple of different times, right? Or even actually through one of the the actions of the uh, of the god abilities. So. Um, there is some some good variety there, and, and yeah, God, it can be devastating. What about that that bidding mechanic? So again, I'll stick with you for a minute, Neil, because uh, I know you're a big auction uh, auction mechanic fan uh, in games. What what was your thoughts on on how that works? Well, talk us through it briefly, if you don't mind, and then um, a few thoughts. So there are four gods, and they largely let you each do. You know, you've got the guy who lets you build armies and the army building and move armies. There's the guy that lets you build boats and move boats and build the boat building. There's the guy that lets you build priests and the priest building and change monsters. And there's the guy that lets you do the philosophers building and build philosophers. Yep. And for each of those, you're you've then also got the one that's left, which is Apollo. Apollo, yeah, yeah, the fifth is Apollo. Who is the fifth? So you always play with a number of gods equal to the player count minus one. So we were playing a three-player game, two gods at a time. So there's two gods plus Apollo. You then bid a certain amount of money of your resources that you're happy to to spend to kind of trying to get uh, or to offer to your god. You can get reductions on that based on the number of priests you've got. Um, if I bid three on, you know, Zeus um, and and Tom is next to bid, he can either go for the spare god, he can go for Apollo, or he can outbid me, at which point I immediately take my marker and must place it elsewhere. So it can either go on the, the remaining god or can go on Apollo, which is like the free action. And you can only then obviously bid the amount that you've actually legally got in front of you. The real juice for that for me is having a hidden amount of money because then you've got no idea. I'm like so many times I kind of overbid because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want Tom to outbid me on this, but I don't know how much money he's holding on to behind his screen. Yeah. And then it was also useful to just amass huge amounts of wealth because people couldn't tell that you were just secretly hoarding money. Now I don't know if that would have been more evident (laughs) if we were playing that in the flesh you know, it's much easier uh, to miss when you just click a dial up to, to to nine and hit take. You do have these little screens in the in the actual game, so there's a bit of you know, like the Game of Thrones board game, a bit of hiding of what you've got. Yeah, but you are going to see me like thumbing all of the dollars out of the middle of the uh, the pile. You could see that on TTS anyway with the with the numbers because everyone starts on five and gets two in the first uh, income phase. I did decide, like, okay knowing how much money is going to be important i'm going to try and track yeah what everyone's on which i managed for about a round and a half and then <laughs> so you tried to rain man it <laughs> and Ran then i was just fingers completely and toes. lost yeah, yeah. I, I really liked that very simple thing as you're describing where you just kind of bounce from from one auction i'd actually maybe go as far so i think that is the best auction mechanic of of any game i've played that has an auction mechanic in it i felt it was a little bit limited oh, did you? But, but purely i think down to the player count if we we're playing this with four and five i think that 
moving around bouncing mechanic would happen a lot more and would actually be a lot more challenging and interesting to to know and more second guessing yeah yeah Yeah. okay okay cool all right so let's uh get into uh scores then um paul give us your your score for cyclades please uh first playthrough i thoroughly enjoyed it i'd like to play it again i think the first few rounds was kind of finding your feet and um i'd like to play at a higher player count and i think that might influence my decision it's not quite an eight for me but it's close so i'm gonna give it a 7.8 <laughs> neil how about you I haven't got too involved. Like I'm, I'm very much a Swedish rounding kind of guy, but mm. and so I've never given anything other than a, than a, than a whole number or a point five. And I, I, I wanted to give it a seven point eight, but I'm not doing that. So it's an eight. Great, nice. Because Blood Rage is a seven point five, and I think actually, I would straight swap this for Blood Rage. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's a really interesting comparison. I think. Think I would prefer this game. I would have to refer back to what I scored Blood Rage, um, but I think I prefer this game because I just think there's a little bit more going on in terms of the strategy Agreed. here. Um, yeah. That it, having had the, the the game, the box of this previously, and actually wouldn't have rated it um, very highly then. Um, but I've got a lot more out of it now, and I think I'd, I'd probably give it a seven point five myself. So we're all broadly in the same ballpark for it, but. But I'd maybe look back at my my blood rage score and, and assuming maybe I gave it about a seven, that'd be right. But if I hadn't, I'd put that down to a seven because this is definitely a better game. Blood rage, you gave a six. Oh well, brilliant, fine. Point one point <laughs> five better. Welcome to the thirty fourth episode of the I'm Having My One podcast. My name is Tom, and I'll be your host this week as we dig into our board game passion once again. In this episode, we're venturing to the cold north of Scandinavia as we plot Viking world domination via placing little Norse-shaped meeples onto actions that produce milk and peas. And on this inevitable feast of fun, I am joined, as always, by Neil and Paul, two men so hairy they might as well have just stepped off their longship or nah, but two minutes ago... (laughs) Anyway, enough rambling. Let's talk about a feast for Odin. In the last couple of weeks, we three have managed to play a feast for Odin together online. And Neil and I played an in-person game a few days later with one of the podcast's biggest fans, our mate Dave. In case the intro didn't quite put you there. To set the scene here, we're talking Viking worker placement and polyomino basically those shapes from Tetris, uh, laying all in aid of creating the best Viking clan, gathering points and, of course, feeding your people through the titular feast, which happens once per round. Worker placement games are so popular in the hobby more generally, um, but the designer here, Uwe Rosenberg, has created one of the iconic worker placement games, I think, with its famous uh, action selection board with over 60 options to choose from. So let's start there, shall we? The action board, uh, Paul, is that the best thing in the world or the most analysis, paralysis-inducing component known to man? It's one of those things that there's good iconography and you might just want a slight reference back to the rule book for a couple of them. But once you get your head around it, it's fairly easy. However, it is incredibly daunting 
when you sit down and you're like, okay, you place one worker here and then this happens, or you could put two workers <laughs> and then this happens, or three workers or four workers, and so on with, with so many different actions. And especially when you start with only five workers, playing a four action, uh, a four worker action seems uh, very wasteful, but actually can sometimes give you the real boost because obviously they're a lot more powerful than uh, just gaining, a, as you said earlier, a bowl of peas. And despite there being 60 potential actions to take, there's always that one thing that someone else does that you are going to do, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Because there are there are priorities of things that you can do. So they are, I've been a bit flippant in terms of the, the ridiculous range of things that you can do, but they are kind of sorted, right? So you've got things that are basically to do with producing food, that even if that is that it's from... Uh, animals that it's milk or maybe you're slaughtering the animals to create meat uh you can go hunting for that as well there's stuff to do with building um your village out you can build ships then go and do trading missions with that you can go pillaging with it you can go um and and actually disappear off uh and migrate to to another island somewhere else so they are kind of a little bit more localized and so people can you know you do work out a little bit okay so people are probably going to want to do that or they're focusing that they built a ship so they're going to have to choose from one of those options um that's you know something to do with what what you then have a ship for um and so if you've gone down that route as well absolutely it's got the classics despite all of those to to get blocked off which is still despite uh, all those options incredibly annoying when <laughs> when you're looking for the most efficient version of what you can do uh, and then you're having to sacrifice that uh, that boat leave it in port for one one more turn or something so the polyomino placement that you've got there you've got these little tiles these tetris tiles what what are we doing with these neil what's what's that all about yeah so you've got your your main central game board um <clears throat> which uh, which is is designed to kind of to be to be to be your home area you can also take over additional buildings artisan huts and you can explore distant lands which will give you more board space with which to place these polyomino tiles the boards have two main features. Number one is uh, a lot of them will have little bonus tiles. So if you are able to uh, completely surround the bonus tile with your placed polyomino tiles, then you gain the bonus that you have encased. So it might be that, you know, on your main board, there's one that's one wood, one stone, one ore. You know, so bonus resources and tiles that you can gain um, each round. But then there's also lots of negative point spaces that you have to cover up. So effectively it's one of those games where your board uh might be worth uh, and it seems really really daunting right at the start of the game right especially how much did you enjoy uh when dave was like oh my god i'm never going to get any of this covered up because on the main board there must be what like 30 40 negative points available that you've got Easy. to cover up at yeah. the start yeah yeah so yes you're effectively you're trying to uh, cover those spaces you're trying to be clever about your tile placement in which to to gain the bonuses uh, and then there's also uh, on most of the boards, there's some sort of degree of increasing re uh, income per round. Mm -hmm. And you have to place the tiles in quite a specific way that you've got to cover all the places to the left and below. So you kind of you got to start in the bottom left corner and then expand. But then naturally, all of the negative points like in the top and, and, and off to the right. And you can just place tiles up there if you want to. But it's also a bit of that management of like, oh, do I want to manage my income or do I want to just start knocking off some of these big point, uh, big point placements on the board? So yeah, it's good. It's a good little thinky puzzle, and I think that's what Uwe Rosenberg is most 
commonly associated with, right? This is one of the decision points in Feast for Odin, which I, I think I got wrong in the game that we three played. But when we're playing it with Dave, um, I certainly got closer to making the right decision. Is that it's really tempting when you're at the beginning of the game to see that huge board and be wanting to start cover stuff up, right? As you say, to be able to make some progress over the, what is it, seven, eight rounds that you've got to be able to not have any negative points showing at the end of the game. But actually, if you do it straight away, you've only really got access to these tiny, deep-bitty tiles, which just don't cover up anything, right? So actually, you kind of need to hold your nerve a bit Get your production going. Get some 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 engine built here, so you can get hold of the bigger tiles. So a good way of doing it is that you can. It's a bit expensive early on, but you get the cattle, for example. You then there's a, a section in the game that a bit uh, Agricola that you 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 breed the, uh, the from the animals that you've got, and then you've got a spare cow that you can slaughter and and put on the board, and it's a massive tile that covers up half of the. Um, I'm slightly simplifying, but it covers up tons of those uh, those boxes on that board that you need to do. Working out the right time to to do that is critical. Um, you also, as a slight aside, mentioned the feast. I think it is a slightly secondary thing in the game, which is ironic because it's the title, is that you do need to leave a little bit of food left over to be able to feed your clan thematically at the end of that, that season. The way that we play it is that you always you know you, you name what it is that you're putting back into the box to feed them and it's always the same thing isn't it it's like i'm feeding my clan this time peas and some flax and a silver coin to yeah. to be able to do it and it's the same every time which i think is funny but it slightly misses that that i think what he was trying to do with the game it slightly missed the post uh on that i really enjoy this game but there, if I if I had to nitpick and make little gripes, then it would be that that feast is really a non-event, you know. And like you say, considering that is the title of the game, yeah, it is. I've I, I don't think I've ever once struggled to to feed my men. I don't Not think really, I, no. it's it's never been a thing. Exactly, it's it's kind of just something that thematically you are building out your clan to make it more successful. So you would think, okay, first maybe second round, I'm giving them peas and milk to eat. But then by the end, they're at venison and, you know, tucking on the ale and yeah. you know, gnawing on a monk's shin bone or something. No, but, no, wheat and, wheat and milk and a coin again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Paul, you did, as always, win this game when we played the, the three. And your, I think one tactic I have always seen you do is this migration uh, tactic, right, which is re- relevant to, to the feast. Uh, talk us through how that works and and what your what your your thoughts on what what, what is it that you do in this game that just makes you so damn good at it um i think i'm a genius compared to you two muggles well that is a real sad state of affairs for uh, neil and i if you're a genius anyway tell talk to us about migration paul so um i think with uh, I think with migration, it gives you a couple of bonuses. The the first one, which is minor, is once you've built a boat, you can pay a set amount of silver, depending on the round number, to use those boats. They get flipped and they cover up part of your feast tile. Yeah. So then you're spending a lot less resources to, you know, do the feast, um, which then can be turned into other points to cover up your board. Mm. However, I think the the real genuine benefit is those 
boats that would be worth seven or eight victory points. Something like that, yeah. Five five for the NARS, I think, eight for the longships. Suddenly worth 18 or 20-something. 21, yeah. 21 victory points. Um, And I think when we played, you know, I had maybe 40 points in migrated boats, which which is just massive, I think. Yeah, it's huge. I know you did it a little bit, but you and Neil went for secondary islands that you can pick up as part of this kind of exploration with your with your placements mm. which i just didn't bother with at all and you can get some good points but i just mm. sort of thought well i'll get and some boats and i'll migrate them and score loads of points that way this is it right it's the whole thing about this that is one of the things why i think it's so rich this game is it's so easy to get distracted and go oh i'll just get one of those or i'll just do that and, and certainly the... <laughs> i'm no expert at this game um, but I always feel like, oh, if I just get that, it's just going to be something else to fill up um, or I need to, you know, or you're going down a different action route or something because there's so much choice. I think I think really what you need to do, right, is focus on just a couple of different bits. So whether you are going down the boat route and then doing migration or, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think you need a couple, right? Like, so I think it's, you know, oh, this, this game, I'm going to try and focus on pillaging and migration or I'm going to focus on um, extra boards and you know and upgrading tiles or is it is this a difficult game like you look at it and you think oh my god what what is going on with this there's so much to it is that you know if you're introducing this talking to someone about it do you think it's difficult for someone to get their head around i don't think it is (laughs) i don't think it's difficult but i think it's one of these games where you need a good 15 20 minute teach time potentially Hmm. people need need that time to get the head around the the sheer vastness of the actions mm-hmm. but actually once once you've kind of got that and i don't think i mean maybe dave's the uh the exception to the rule here but i don't think you can necessarily expect a massive score on your first <laughs> playthrough because as you say there's the best tactic is to focus on one or two things yeah and i think when you're a new player the temptation to be like oh well he's just bought himself an island well maybe i should get an island or he's just emigrated a boat well i should emigrate a boat and you can get sucked in on what other people are doing but but no i i I don't think overall the game is complicated and we've not played it for a long time no it's true it it definitely suffers from it just looks that thing as i said right at the the top of of this discussion of it looking intimidating because there's so many actions to choose from but actually what you're doing is a comment that dave made as well what you're actually doing to round to round is is not difficult at all, is it? No, and he said it. He said it multiple times. It's like I can't believe how straightforward this is. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go straight to scores with the idea on brevity. Paul, why don't you give us your score first for a feast of Odin? Nine. A nine. Ooh, nice, tasty. You're just doing a complete non-tom. You're just giving me what I'm asking for a score with no. Well, you you said no speech with with brevity in mind. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think this game is brilliant. I think worker placements are, as a overall genre, are, are a big, big passion of mine. And and I think, yeah, it's, it's a simple game, but with a high level of strategy. Neil, where do you sit after that nine? This scores me ever so slightly lower. This scores an 8.5 from me. Um, it is a game that I really, really enjoy playing with... Um, with a group who already know how to play it. Like, it's really nice to just get it out of the box, set it up and start playing. 
And I just, I think it's the sort of game that, because really on your turn, your turns aren't long. It's like, it's place a man, do the thing and then wait. So I want, I think, especially if there are players who uh, suffer from a little bit of analysis paralysis or perhaps aren't overly sure, especially in higher player counts, um, then I wonder if this could suffer. For me, it's also an 8.5. I think this game sits very happily in that um, wingspan and other associated sort of games that I'm always really happy to play. Um, I love the theme. I think with this one, I, we hadn't played it for a long time. I'd like to play it more often so I can work out the strategies uh, uh, and, and hopefully not always come dead dead last as I did in our, <laughs> our two recent games. It, it's okay. also worth saying that we've brought this to every single games meet that we've had in the last two years and we've never got around to playing it, or once we did. I wonder on the back of this that if we would, because you know, I think even though we had played it, I think there's always a little bit, oh, this is going to take 20 minutes to set up, isn't it? <laughs> At least. <laughs> so we've recently had a couple of games of 1846, which is a game designed by Thomas Lehman uh, back in 2005. Uh, it's now, I believe, in its second print run and has been taking over publishing by GMT. Uh, for our listeners out there who might be new to the concept of uh, this thing called an 18xx, uh, this is a whole genre of board games in and of its own, uh, based around the purchasing and operating of train companies. Um, and while there are literally hundreds of these various titles, uh, many of them follow a very familiar uh, framework, buying and laying track to expand your network, um, buying stations, uh, buying trains, um, all of this to try and make as much money for your company and your own personal wealth as possible uh, until the game end is triggered. This is usually uh, by what we call them breaking the bank. So you're going to set the limit for the bank at the start of the game. Once the last of the money is taken out, that triggers the game end. You then maybe do another round or two and then you take additional money. You cash everything out and the person who has generated as much personal wealth as possible is deemed the winner. Well, we played uh, 1846, which is called The Race for the Midwest. They've always got like 18 and then a name or a number. So uh, 18 Chesapeake or 1889. Um, so this was The Race for the Mid Midwest. So uh, this particular game is set focused on the, the, the westward expansion uh, of rail networks in the American Midwest. It features several unique elements, such as uh, scaling the number of corporations, private companies, and the bank size according to the number of players. Not all of those games do that. Additionally, the traditional starting uh, private company auction has been replaced with a private company draft, which introduces a, a little kind of hidden information and a bit of a degree of randomness with those privates. Corporations that run a train from the East Coast to the West Coast are also getting additional benefits uh, that people can work towards. And also in this one, which can be different from most, all track builds will incur a cost. Um, you need to be maintaining money in your corporation. I think from what I've, I've I've heard and read, this is well considered to be one of the kind of the better learner or intro 18xxs, um, as I don't think it's as ruthless as some of the other titles where you could have like corp uh, companies like depleted of all their finances and then dumped on you so that you're then on the hook for some massive payouts and stuff. So, uh, but anyway, I digress. Chaps, two goes in. What did you think? So I think it was a lot um, different across the two um, different plays for me. I think the validates a little bit what we're trying to do more now, right? Play games multiple times. You know, the first time we were doing it, that was a bit of an uphill struggle for me on the, oh, I'm going to start with the train puns again, but uphill struggle um, for me on um, the rules of it and couldn't quite get to grips with what I was trying to do for, for most of it. 
and sort of just then felt a bit like uh, uh you know I was bumping up against <laughs> the carriages bumping up against um what I was trying to do just didn't understand it however the second time we played it it, it was a lot more free-flowing I think and and I I felt like I understood more of what I was doing um for the most part anyway um I definitely needed a few little prompts on uh let's say the the best way of, of doing um my turn but it it just it definitely on that second time had had much better flow um and an ease of kind of play i think and i think the turns were a bit quicker that said they are quite long games i think again i understand we're learning it but right is that is that common across the other 18xx that you've played yeah i think they're always going to be like a three to five hour title many of which going on quite a bit longer than that right i think it's quite quite easy for these to be five to eight hour titles yeah certainly I mean, some of the chaps that i wouldn't usually play these games with are talking about um 18 usa and i think they're they're forecasting that to be about an eight hour game yeah okay i mean i think if you're massively massively into your trains that's just an easy thing to say yes absolutely i'd go for that in the same way as i'd happily surrender that time to playing twilight or something right so um it's it's not it's not something that i'm massively uh into but there were a lot of really interesting concepts to the to what we're trying to do with this. We'd I'd only had tiny little insights to this in things like Irish Gauge before of trying to build tracks out and then um uh, and then manage stocks and stuff at the same time. And I think it's got absolute bare bones of maybe what you'd call an eighteen XX. But it the, the the kind of the idea of kind of managing your uh your economy of what you're trying to do right is, is it's got bits of games that i do enjoy where you're okay i'm going to do this this turn with a view i'm then going to try and strike out to that next town that will give me the uh the ability to to get more income for that particular train but knowing actually i've only got one more turn of that train before it rusts into oblivion and i need to make enough money to be able to do to get that next one um i certainly think you judged it quite well in terms of the game to introduce me at any rate to this genre um i'm not sure that i could have handled anything that was much more complicated <laughs> yeah and it's it's one of those isn't it where it can be a bit of a it can be a bit of a funny teach and i i certainly the first one that i ever played was 1889 which was the the shikoku one and i largely spent most of the game just being like i think i've vaguely got an idea what's happening but but largely was kind of being held through it paul how did you find um, you got on. You seem to pick this up fairly quickly. Just yeah. a bright lad, aren't you? That's what it is. Just such a bright lad. Said no one ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was okay. I I think for the length of game, I don't think there's, for me, there's enough going on with it. I wonder if some of the other games, you know, potentially give you more options. But I found it, uh, you know, a bit limiting. Lay some track, maybe be buying some stock, run your trains. Um not much in the way of being able to kind of influence what other players are doing. And I think of one of the videos you sent us, which wasn't for this game, there was some embezzling options and stuff like that, which sounded quite exciting. Um, so I would be interested to try another game in this genre. Um, for, for me, I don't think 1846 hit the mark, but I think that there is potential within that scope within that genre the only negative that i would say is that it has i think that that game of 1846 for me it was starting to get really quite frustrating doing the money and that's purely a difference of 
TTS versus playing in real life, because in real life, you are seamlessly picking up these tokens, flip them in your hand, place them down. There's none of that like, oh, I've got my rotation angle set to 30 degrees or, mm-hmm. you know, there's 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 no like there's no faffing around with the little money counters and the clickers trying to, you know, trying to, to take or spend money. But yeah, it's 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 definitely they're definitely not for everyone, are they? They're definitely one of those genres, I think, where they've just got they've got connotations of, of very very nerdy people with calculators and notepads. <laughs> um, but I've got to say, I am just getting more and more and more hooked in each time I play one of these. But having played quite a few in 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 person, eighteen forty six is by far one of the best looking of the games is it yeah which is difficult (laughs) but if you don't understand what they look like (laughs) (laughs) oh dear it it looks great and the quality is great obviously because it's gmt uh publishing right it just adheres to so many of the things that are sort of become stereotypes isn't it as you say that they are the the kind of nerdy train types who are interested in this sort of game and don't care about the uh you know the the frills of pretty pictures and, and things like that they're happy that i'm laying a bit of track and it's just yellow with a black line on it <laughs> no effort made at all to make that look good they don't care they're just all about infrastructure paul any other thoughts positive or negative yeah i don't think this particular game's for me but watching some of the videos for the others i would be keen to give them a try mm-hmm. um because yeah as i say this one didn't seem to it, it just seemed to go on for too long. I think I said to you guys uh, in one of the WhatsApp messages, of, or maybe I just thought it in my own brain and didn't send it. But if if this was a 90-minute, two-hour game, I think I'd be quite keen to play it. But for the length of time it's going to take, I don't feel there's enough structure or tactics involved. I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely take on board your point about it, about it running long. And it does get a bit like, okay, operating around one... Lay track, run a train, take the money. Lay track, run the train, take the money. Stock round, lay track, run the train, take the money. But, and I think, and I think it's just sorry it's... to interrupt, Noel. That had a really good like click it, trainee, trainee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Take the track, do the money. So, so my next question then is, how do you introduce someone to the world of eighteen XX? Because it is pretty daunting. It has to be the right the right level of of, of buy-in. So do I, I wonder if Arabella is a good intro because at least it gets you familiar with the idea of laying track, with running trains, with very, 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 very loosely owning shares in a company. Um, I, I actually would disagree. I don't think these games are particularly daunting. You don't think? No. I mean, for, for some people, I maybe don't... the length. For other people, maybe the way it looks, but in terms of the complexity of the game, actually, I don't, I don't think it's that. Mm, I'm not sure. Okay, fair enough. I'm not sure I agree on that. I think that they are. Well, let me talk from my own perspective. I think that they they do seem um, more difficult to to get into. I think because because of the things that you say. I think they just they're not a beautiful, colourful game that somebody can see on a shelf or see pictures of on Instagram or BGG and go, oh, yeah, I want to jump on board with that. I think it also <laughs> does kind of jump on the gut. I'm so sorry. That was accidental. <clears throat> um, I also think that because of 
some of the things that it starts to get into, I think it does put a lot of people off in the terms of the stocks and shares, because that is quite a niche thing that not a lot of people understand how it works. I understand there's a million apps now that keep telling me how I can get rich for just a pound. Um, but there's kind of, it's not a world that I think a lot of people are are in, myself included. And so I think those elements can 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 push people away too. Now, I think this is the sort of thing that can be totally counted if you're massively into your trades. And I think if you do have that, which I don't massively myself, I think you can then get past a lot of those things. But I, I don't think, from my point of view, that these are the most approachable games. Oh, really, really tough, right? Really, really tough. All right, so uh, scores on the doors then. Let's go to Tom first. Yeah, I think there is a, a lot to to like here. It is an interesting um, game. It's not something I'm massively into, but I can 100% see why people totally fall in love with these games. Um, so I'm going to give it a 7.5. Okay, excellent. Cool. I'm going slightly lower. I'm going 7 but on this game, for the reasons I've kind of said, is I feel, as you say, there's there's not enough being able to pass companies off to other people. There's, you know, there's no embezzling. I was I was getting really excited about embezzling some money. Um, but but yeah, I looking at some of the other games. There's some I'd like to give a give a try, but for this game, I'm giving it a seven. But as mm-hmm. we've said before, seven's a solid score. Seven's a good score. score. Yep. I think for me, yeah, I think I think I think that there are things that I prefer about some of the other 18xxs. Mm-hmm. Um I think at the moment I'm going to give this an 8. I think it might drop with extra re- repetition, but I do think it does a very very good job of being an intro. It's very safe. It's not. It's like I said earlier. It's not easy to manipulate things and dump companies. So it's it. You know, maybe it it might be a little bit stale in the mid to late game, but it is safe. Um, and obviously the uh, the the glorious uh, <laughs> production quality and components. But um, the genre for me at the moment is a nine point five. It's something that I just I'm really getting hooked into at the moment. So. Right. Yeah, excellent. All righty, so that was our little insight into the wonderful world of uh, 18xx games. Uh, we hope if this sounds like your cup of tea, then you might be inspired uh, to suggest one of these titles to your game group. Finally, in this section is Wayfarers of the South Tigris. This um, is a Shem Phillips game I backed from Kickstarter last year. I hadn't actually got around to playing it um I think we had a good game. I think we all enjoyed playing it. There was a lot to get your head around, but once it finally clicked, it's actually a really simple game. It's got a nice clever mechanic where there is some worker placement, but the workers are actually a shared resource. So someone could nick the workers you wanted to use for your turn, which was quite clever. Both times I've played this game, I've I've really loved it. It looks beautiful. Once you got your head around what you're doing, actually it's relatively simple. Um, because as you mentioned earlier, Tom, the iconography is makes it really clear, actually, once you click what each one's doing, right? I think so. I, I think it's something that all of the games by Garfield and Shem, uh, Garfield and Shem Phillips, sounds like Garfield and Shem Phillips, <laughs> Garfield games uh, and Shem Phillips all have that similar thing. I think it, it's super clear. 
um once you've got the basics i think you can kind of work out okay this is this is etc so really good and this game actually for me was probably the highlight of the weekend because it was a big surprise we've spoken about this before what you bring to a game often will impact it but this was an interesting version of that because i had watched videos in advance thinking okay this is a game i need to get my head around i know paul really wants to play it and the video that i watched although it was reasonably good on its um, instructional element i think the guy doing it was so boring that I just kind of lost the will to live and some of my excitement about the game. So when we then came to play it and I was like, oh, this is actually, you know, when we were like, oh, I got this now. Um, we then kind of were stepping through it and lots of lovely, interesting bits to it that they are so much of the type of game while like where you're planning out your moves in advance, getting the resource that allows you to do that action to have the most efficient way of, of um uh, completing what you're trying to do um really really good and so that surprise i think from um w- what i was expecting having watched that uh that instructional video on youtube to where i ended up on it made this the highlight of the weekend for me yeah and and there's quite a lot of engine building so if you plan because different cards tuck under other cards or go above some certain cards and then so actually you can have a turn and and get a, a nice chain of events happening that that really cracks on. Um, Neil, what did you think? Again, same as Tom, I think this is, for me, certainly the biggest surprise. I think if I have to be honest, I, I was a bit take it or leave it going in, but knew that you wanted to play it. I'm obviously then more than happy to give it a go. Um, really, really pleasantly surprised. Looked great at the table. So those are the games we've been playing. Let us know on the socials what you've been up to. We're always on the lookout for something new and interesting. <laughs> So rally the troops then, Paul. Uh, This is something that we have spent so much time on right in the (laughs) the last months. I can't remember when we exactly started getting things going on here. But um, to anyone who has not seen this so far or heard about it, it's a completely free online, uh, I was going to say history, but they're really a war games, aren't they? War game platform um that has been going for i don't know i think a couple of years now there are currently 15 game different games that you can play on there and they are some absolute classics so games that aren't necessarily available very easily to buy anymore uh but he's just made very very good port of these into a digital format that you can just go onto on any browser on your phone on your laptop whatever and be playing against your mates or just randoms from from all over the world and it's incredible right yes yes it is incredible <laughs> answer yes <laughs> and you, um, you and i've been really getting into this yeah absolutely loved it we stumbled across this i think i can't quite remember how we found it initially we stumbled across this when we had downloaded the uh steam app blocks war game war game about hammer of the scots right and we tried to play it and it was buggy as hell unfortunately still kind of all right we tried to make it work and we tried it on um on tabletop simulator as well and it didn't quite work we stumbled across the fact that this game that we loved and you know if you've listened to any of these episodes you know how much we love it uh hammer of the scots by columbia games on this platform and 
that's completely where we started, right? We just played Hammer of the Scots again and again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh, and it's such a good, let's start with that, it's such a good port. And this is true of all of them. I don't think I've really encountered any kind of bugs in any of it, but but it's just so, so well put together, isn't it? Yeah, and I think because he's kind of on it, if there are bugs, then they get fixed almost instantly. Right, and there's there's a bit of a forum on there, so people do report when things are not quite working. I assume this is just something that he does as a, as a hobby um, rather than, uh, than, than a job, because there's no money being made out of it. I wonder one day whether there might be something like a contribution or a uh, ad sponsorship or something like that. Um, but at the moment, it seems like just doing it, doing it for the love. But the games that are on there are, uh, which attracted us initially anyway, were things like Hammer of the Scots and other in that series of block war games from Columbia. So we got into Crusader Rex on on here, and also then we had a little play. Do you remember we were trying another one, the, the Rommel in the Desert, and we just could not get our heads that. It was a little bit yeah. too complicated for us, that one. <laughs> yeah, not smart enough for that. Yeah, it's, um, what, what's nice about it is it's all fairly modded. On these mods, you you can sort of get away. You don't have to know the rules. In, in It's not like tabletop simulator, right? It's all scripted. So you can get away with kind of just clicking in the right places and it and uh, and it works. But Romulan doesn't quite get our, head, uh, get our head around. But there's, so yeah, there's a load of Columbia Block War Games on there. There's um, 300 Earth and Water. Uh, there's one of the coin games on there and D in the Abyss, which is great. Fantastic selection of, of games that they've they've put on there. Yeah, and and as a platform, very accessible, very easy to to use, um, and and yeah, I, I've I've really enjoyed playing it. Um, initially, it was just you and I having one ongoing game of Hammer of the Scots, but because there's so many good games, we seem to have a I don't know four, five, six games going at a time of of different things. Right, and we both definitely started on just the the Columbia, but we've slightly branched out now, right? Yeah, and I think some of the Columbia games and and Ian Abyss, the the coin game, they're obviously bigger, longer games. But then Three Hundred Earth and Water, Field of the Cloth of Gold, I think I enjoyed that more than you did, perhaps. But yeah, you know. touch too abstract for me. That it's okay. <laughs> um, but... but they're actually much quicker games. I'll tell you a game that I've been really enjoying on it recently, though, and it's it's just made it bounce straight onto my wish list. It's Time of Crisis. So the yeah. Roman Empire. How how are you getting on with that? Um, yeah, all right. I think I think I'm getting on all right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> right, but I mean, I slightly sprung this one on you, like, yeah. oh, oh, come on, come on, get involved in this. Um, so it took me a while to kind of work out how to do things, and I think I, I like lags behind. But I like the concept. I like the way that it works in terms of kind of managing that sort of deck of hands. Uh, deck of hands. <laughs> managing this sort of quite small deck that you you rotate yep. which will then give you your actions and and i think yep. there's a lot more tactics involved in how you would do that compared to how i played in the game where i came stone cold last right so i'm still working it out and I've, i think i've done maybe four games of this now something like that um this is a, a gmt game that's probably on the lighter end of war games and yeah, um, so. and it's kind of within the uh, it's not fall of the Roman Empire, but it's sort of when things are starting to go a bit wrong. Barbarians invading, invading, and you know it's map of, of Europe, North Africa, and and edge of the uh, Middle East. 
and you are controlling governors and building legions and so on and trying to um you're essentially like a a, a localized governor yourself right and is yeah. the, the idea and you are uh having the twin objectives of gradually building up your little area and fighting off the barbarians but at the same time then fighting against the rivals that you've got in the game as well to be emperor and then if you take the italia region you can become uh emperor and that just gets you a, a ton of points every turn it's you know it's difficult to unseat people sometimes from that thing but um really great love a that combining as you say of, of deck it's not quite deck building is it but no it's, yeah. it's deck management i would say because you're choosing deck management you've mm. got a bit of choice of which cards you're going to have this turn and then therefore mm. next turn right mm -hmm. and dean abyss i think is a great one they had a um uh, a guy we mentioned before board game jimmy um from um, the instagram channel get in touch about picture i posted of fire in the lake and say oh you know any chance to get a game on this and we bounce on to rally the troops and we've got a, a kind of learning game going of and the abyss at the moment and that's great you know that's that wasn't a game in the coin series that i thought oh you know i do love narcos that tv show but i'm not desperately uh, keen to add that to the collection but it's a really good one right it's first in the series he's got you can see it's got some common dna with um with cuba uh, cuba libre right yeah. uh but really good kind of government versus um broadly two paramilitary factions and then the drug cartels really really good i've had several games i'm not very good at it <laughs> it shows me that <laughs> point game uh as much as i absolutely love these not not that good at it no i don't uh, know what it is about this game because when we played cuba libre i did quite well when we did fire in the lake it was okay and i was like oh and then this, I'm just like lagging behind. And I've played, this is my third different faction now, and I'm still lagging behind. So I can't even blame it on having a death. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is really entertaining. And, and again, just to echo that, that I've not really had any experience of uh, negative uh, or negative experiences of, of playing with just random people, which I've almost been a bit surprised at, really, because, you know, these being war games as well, I think people can get quite you know salty and agitated agitated about uh, when things are not going their way i've had like one comment from somebody um at some point when <laughs> i 100% just lost the game for them <laughs> uh, they were they were absolutely on on the nose of um you know i should have attacked a instead of b whatever yeah. um so fair enough that's that's probably the only one that i've had um but the it does kind of bring to another point about this is that I tend to play on mobile and it can be a little bit tricky to kind of see exactly what other people are doing. They've just introduced this new, you've seen the pinch to zoom functionality, right? Yeah. So you used to be able to zoom by tapping a button. Now on most of the games, it seems to work fine. You do a pinch to zoom and uh, that's helped a little bit to see what's going on. Uh, but when you're playing a game in person, it's a little bit like we've said on TTS as well, right? tabletop simulator that you you don't really necessarily have a sense of what other people do um and particularly a game like Andy and Abyss I think you kind of need to keep fairly close eye on what other people not only their scores but kind of looking a little bit about what they're doing there is a log that you can go through and, and kind of scroll back through but who the hell's gonna have time or, or patience to, to go back particularly other than maybe the last turn before uh, unless it's getting pretty tight so that's, that's maybe one negative about it 
Yeah, but I so, think sorry, Tom. No, no, good. Um, I think we've we've broadly touched on this. We really enjoy this. We really like playing tabletop simulator. There's a few apps we like, but yeah, I mean, I think it is worth saying that the wonderful thing about board games is sitting around a table and having that shared experience. And what this does is this fills the gap for me between sitting around a table and having that shared experience. But I don't think any online game or, you know, any digital version of a game would fully replace playing it in person. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's an interesting thing that um, Steve from Discord um, says that if he's playing online, so I've invited him to play this, knowing that he's into his war games. Um, and he said, "Now, if I'm playing online, I'm going to play a video game. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. Um, just fine, each to their own." Um, I think what this does for me, though, is it allows you and I to get stuff to the you know digital table that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. Right? We've had so many games now of Hammer of the Scots uh, that you've actually managed to start winning now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we. We just wouldn't have, you know, it's a lifetime of games probably of Hammer of the Scots and those other Columbian block war games that we've already played yeah. through this platform. We don't live close uh, uh, to each other. So it is a bit of a, a rare treat to um, be able to get together and play games. And then, you know, it just, in fact, isn't something that we've ever done to just uh, you and I uh, get together and, and and play some of these. So it's really given us that opportunity to do that, which is which is brilliant. Yeah, I absolutely love playing these games. And as you say, it just fills that void of, uh, you know, not being able to meet up and play these in person. So being able to play them digitally is great. We've recently been having a go at Pax Mamiya and Wilderness War, right? I think Wilderness War is the most complicated of all of these. Pax Pamir and Wilderness War. <laughs> How are you getting on with these? <laughs> I really struggling. like I really like Wilderness War. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it is it is complicated. I think it's very heavy tactics, which maybe I uh sometimes suffer from. So it's 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 worth saying Wilderness War, for those that don't know, is kind of the french indian war uh in the northern uh americas mm. um and you're kind of controlling your your different factions and building up your forts for your defenses and you know a real kind of pre-wild west history um and i think you know actually your actions are fairly limited so you've got to be quite careful with, right, because it's done in a kind of Twilight Struggle way, right, where you have a, a hand of cards that you will play through a round, and those are action points or events. I don't know I'm ever making the right decisions on those. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, activate. I give them a go. Okay, maybe I'll try and do that event. No, that's screwed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I was doing really well because I snuck down the West Coast with yeah. one of my forces and took a couple of your forts. But now they're sat there all by themselves with no backup and uh, severely weakened. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to them in the next couple of turns. Yeah, and this, this is our first attempt at it, right? And I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it because I quite like to persevere. That kind of card-based, point-to-point movement game, something I'd quite like to, to understand a bit more of how to do it because I think there is a brilliant game here. I'm just not, I'm not very good at it. So Pax Premier, Tom, what do you think of that then? Oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing with this at all. 
Well, I just, we, we gave up. Well, I, sorry, you didn't give up. I gave up. I conceded the game because I just had no idea what I was doing. But but I think again, there's a really good tactical game there with a, mm. a nice bit of push and pull, and there's this little mechanic about you know placing cards into your kind of play area and how you can then use them. Mm. I feel the same as you. I've played obviously the game that I technically won, right? If you've given up, um, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And I've played one with three other randomers. Oh, did you? Okay, that's uh, probably a good idea. Was... See how it's done. <laughs> but. I think rather than watching a how to play video, I think I need to find a, a video of someone playing the game. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just that's why that's how you take a card. Mm. What I need to know is like, well, why would I do that? And I want to yeah. see someone else play so I, I understand that more. Yeah, makes sense. It's just there's there's two I feel silly saying this because it is such a simple game, really, in terms of what you can and can't do. I just don't quite understand enough about how you um, move this stuff around. It feels very like like something that's a little bit coin related, but also really root uh, related, right? So it is designed um, by uh, Cole Whirler, right? So it is uh, so of root fame and you can kind of feel some similarities in in what's going changing allegiances and all that kind of stuff so okay we'll, we'll maybe try and get our heads around it's got a touch of the a little bit too abstract for me as well it is you know just a very very simple map with just cylinders that you place um but i should probably get over that all right so paul what's uh then uh, a top three of the games that are currently available on rally the troops what are your top three i think my top three and much like anyone's sort of gaming preferences, uh, it blows with the wind. Hmm. Um, I absolutely love Crusader Rex. I think it takes the mechanics we love of Hammer of the Scots and kind of steps it up a bit with the sieges yeah. and, and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that's probably my number one at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um Number two is probably Andean Abyss. I'm really enjoying being able to play a coin game. It'd be great to see others on there. Um, and then tough one, maybe, even though I'm absolutely awful at it, maybe Richard III. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good game, that one, I think. Uh, from my point of view, I think that the games that I'm enjoying the most uh, on there are probably time of crisis at number one at the moment yeah i kind of just would almost play another play another play another with that one right now just because i'm really enjoying trying to work out how to do it well i think crusader x i'm with you i actually think that's the best columbia block war game i've played there are problems um not problems but there are things that are better in crusader x than richard iii and hammer of the scots um but I will maybe just throw in Julius Caesar as a as another one in there, yeah. which is the the, the one set in uh, the, the Roman Civil War, and it, it's just brilliant. I had one of the most exciting rally the troops games I've had against this guy, where it was down to the last roll of the dice. We had a th game of three um, three matches of that, one one each, and it came down to the last one, and I won it on the last roll of the dice, which was absolutely amazing. Such a good feeling. So good. So that's Rally the Troops. Jump on, try and find us, and let's have a game of something. <laughs>
Our topic this episode is a board game draft. Uh, this is where we're going to take turns drafting games from the Board Game Geek's top 100 games right now, uh, with the aim of producing the best collection of nine games in total. Uh, and then we're going to ask you, the listener, to vote on the best list that we produce from the three of us. So, Neil, get us started. What's your first pick and... Uh, Sure, give us a a little bit about why. So my first pick is a game that I would happily play. I've scored a nine on uh, BGG, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not one of my tens. I am trying to uh, win the crowd, as it were. Uh, So my first pick is going to be Scythe. I think that is... How dare you? Got some big reach. (laughs) And I knew that that would be a a punch in the owies for you. Absolutely. (laughs) That Surely that was on all of our lists. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 no, no question. Okay, cool. All right, let's strike Scythe from my list. Uh, good, Paul, first pick. Okay, although Lancashire is the better game, again, if we are appealing to the masses, I'm going to pick Brass Birmingham. You two guys just playing the game here, aren't you? Playing the game. Yeah. I'm glad Tom made his uh, his rule because I would have picked Lancashire if you had picked Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the, the competition of the brass, brass, and and vi- vice versa. I would have let the people decide the brass off. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me strike the brasses from there. So I will have as my first pick June Imperium. So oh. I think this is maybe more for me. I don't know that it's the most popular game in the world, but um, you know, it's in. In the the crowd pleases surely, um, but I love it. So I've got to be true to myself and pick uh, uh, pick tune. Okay, my n- second pick then before we go back through is going to be I'm going to pick Pandemic Legacy Season One. So ruling out the other pandemics, uh, which I think there's only one other potentially in the top 100. And this is a game that so many people love it sort of really opened up the world to legacy games and i think so many publishers copied it afterwards so i think that's uh that's gonna be the one that i'll take for my second pick paul back to you for my second pick i mean I'm, we're only on number two how how hard should this be um <laughs> i would like to go with a worker placement and although uh a feast for odin is sat there tempting me i think i'm gonna pick uh Orleon. I think is a much more yeah, accessible good. game um, yeah. for a lot of people. And and actually, I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's very good. If Tom hadn't have picked Dune Imperium, I think everyone knows my feeling on that. I'd have had that, but I think that is probably <laughs> um, probably my next pick if I'm going to go for a worker placement. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Neil, your second pick, please. All right. My second pick is going to uh, a crowd pleaser that I just think is a great crowd pleaser um really really accessible to all of us that like playing with wives that want that want family friendly games games that they can introduce new uh, new people to so this is going to be cascadia for me oh okay and this also looks like i'm just uh, shaping up to do tom's collection but yeah (laughs) okay good third pick so that's my number two my number three um Mm. my number three i think i want to go for again i think i think i'm playing i'm playing the position here 
and I'm going to get this one off the list early, and it's going to be Twilight Imperium for a big game. Oh, okay, fine. So still sticking with was, the Tom's collection thing. Oh, yeah. I was chancing my arm not picking that, I think. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. So Twilight Imperium, we don't need to probably talk about that anymore. We know we love it so much. Good. Okay. So we'll have a review in a minute of where we've got to. But Paul, what's your third pick? Uh, my third pick, um, going with deck builders, is going to be Clank. Um, so cool. trying to get a nice broad spectrum of games here. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Good. Okay. So I didn't have a lot of what I would call small box games on my list or options to choose from. So I definitely want to pick one of those now. So I'm going to go, I actually think potentially there's a better pick in the list, but I'm going to go with what I like. So I'm going to take Seven Wonders Jewel as my Oh, Thomas! Does that mean we can't have Seven Wonders? I think those two are close enough, but I don't really. I think it's they are different games. They are you play them differently. Let's have those as two different games. Okay. So Seven Wonders is still up for grabs. So it's my fourth pick. I will take kind of at the other end of the scale of Seven Wonders Duel. I'm going to take a big RPG adventure style game. I'm going to take Nemesis. Oh, nice. I think that is one of the best dungeon crawler type games I have ever played. So that's my fourth pick, Nemesis. Paul, fourth pick. Okay, I'm going to go slightly off-piste here. Um, and something that looks very fun and I think would appeal to people who aren't necessarily board gamers, and I'm going to pick... You're uh, so going to say what I've got written here. Crockinole, <laughs> yeah. Oh! oh, Well, I didn't expect that. As I say, I went off piste with it, and I thought Neil might have it on his list, so I thought I'd better get in early. <laughs> very good, very good. That, that is... is certainly very different to anything else we've said so far. It's a good choice. And and it's very right. different to anything else in the top 100. Agreed. That is cool. massively what my next pick was going to be, so very well played. All right, Neil, number four. Although Paul is, uh, other than Crocodile, Paul's building my collection here. Yeah. <laughs> So okay, let's. I've got two in a row. So I'll. Um, I, I know what one of them is going to be. Uh, it's going to be in my category for uh, what I consider to be the best kind of story-based, um, you know, campaigny, fun. Questionably for me, this fills the solo void, um, and that's going to be Sleeping Gods. Okay, is that right. the game you never want to play? Never be bothered. Uh, to play. The game I can never be bothered to play. Yeah. So the problem with that game was set up and packed down time. Uh, and I've said this on the podcast numerous times, but now that I've built myself a games table, this will be coming back into my collection and I will play it through because I can just leave it set up on the table. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good. Okay, Sleeping Gods. So What's that's definitely pick? Coming, coming in there. Uh, fifth pick's Root. Root, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could have saved that. None, neither of us were going to pick it. <laughs> you yeah, say you that. Have it <laughs> It's a very popular game. If we're slightly playing the game of trying to build the best collection from other people's point of view. Yeah. Okay, two good choices there. Uh, Paul, your fifth pick, please. Okay, my fifth pick is a game that's been on my wish list for a while, and that's Mage Knight. Oh, okay. Um, It's a game I'd love to play. I've watched many a video. Uh, I always keep my sort of for second-hand copies. Just haven't quite got around to getting it. It's, you know, again, such a big game. I'll probably play it solo player. So, you know, I'm picking that for that kind of solo player option. And that'll be, you know, a major night for us. Yeah, excellent. Okay, 
I'm going to next pick another. There weren't a lot of games that were massively in the historical and two-player game sphere that I like to sit in quite a lot. Um, But one that was there was Twilight Struggle. So I'm going to take Twilight Struggle as my fifth pick. Should we have a game of that this week, Tom? Uh, no, I no. Uh, I very nearly <laughs> sent Paul an invite this week. I uh, I cannot possibly play you. I need to play Neil for ages and lose to him for, for a while so I can try and remember what the cards are. But, okay. Uh, we should have a game in person. Again. Hang All on right. a minute. Why have you got to lose to me first before taking on the Grandmaster? it's true because i've beaten you once neil i have never got close to beating paul (laughs) playing paul is like playing the ai it's ridiculous um okay quick review before i go to the sixth then so what we've got so far neil you've got scythe cascadia twilight imperium sleeping gods and root very very solid collection of games that paul you've gone with Boras, birmingham orleon clank crocodile and mage knight and i've got dune imperium Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Seven Wonders Jewel, Nemesis, the original version, and Twilight Struggle. My sixth pick, I need to get something in here before you guys pick all the best ones. Don't do it. (laughs) I'm going to take, I don't think you would pick this one. I'm going to take A Feast for Odin. So I'm getting a bit heavy on big, heavy games here, but it is what I love. And I do really like this game. So I'm going to go Feast for Odin as my sixth pick. Okay, number six for me. uh, But these are not necessarily my sixth choice. I think it's a a very good game. It's just kind of tactically trying to stop other people getting things as well. Um, But but for me, my sixth choice, I think you need a good gateway game, a good sort of family-friendly, easy-to-pick-up, easy-to-play game. So I'm going to go with The Quacks of Quedlingburg. Ah, yeah. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Yeah. I was toying with this, but yeah, ultimately you're welcome to it. Okay, cool. Neil, you're sick. Okay. So my sick is a game I don't play enough. It is in my collection. Uh do enjoy it very much. Um, and that is Castles of Burgundy. Oh, um, great pick. Yeah. So yeah, so I picked Castles of Burgundy because it's definitely going to appeal to the people who like the kind of the big high point scorers. It's uh but it's quite simple at its core. It's got some dice rolling, which people always enjoy. So uh, yeah, I think that's a, uh, a good pick for my sixth. Mm-hmm. Number seven. Seven is a bit trickier of a pick. I don't know which way to go on this. I'm going to stick to my roots with games that I enjoy. This is one that I am uh, begging you guys to play. We nearly played it the other week. My seventh pick is going to be Great Western Trail. Yep, good. I'm some way surprised oh, you hadn't already picked it. Yeah. Um, good. So I think I'm in the need for a big kind of event game and like a slightly more heavyweight game mm-hmm. um and so for that just after tom how much uh you and neil were raving about it i'm gonna pick war of the ring damn it yeah okay left Try that to too long rebellion still yeah <laughs> yeah uh so very good um okay last two picks for me for this first little bit i think i need to balance this out a bit because I've got a lot of heavy stuff in there. So I'm going to go with, um, yeah, I think I've got that. I'm going to two games that I'd put in the, yeah, the kind of the the more family weight. So I'm going to go with Wingspan. Oh no! As my seventh. Thomas. I do love this game. And then for my last pick, 
you know what? I don't rate it as the highest quality game, but I do enjoy it. Play the other the other episode, didn't we? I'm gonna put Everdell in. I think as my. Mm, oh, let's be let's be braver. Let's be braver than Everdell. Let's be braver than Everdell. Oh, you've taken your finger off it. You could have been fishing for responses there. <laughs> okay, I'll put Everdell in. It's fine. Take Gloom, Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven. I'm going to take Gloomhaven. Gloom 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 no, 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 no. Okay, nobody, nobody, nobody. Okay, fine. Everdell. I'm happy with Everdell. It's a, it's a good family pleaser, whatever you call it. Good Everdell. I'll be amazed. My if the last pick still on here at the end of this. <laughs> My eighth pick. Okay, Paul, your eighth pick. Okay. This is a big struggle for me. So I was, I loved Architects of the West Kingdom, mm. um, but I was at a board games club just the other night and the table next to us were playing Raiders of the North Sea. And it just looks so beautiful. And uh, again, was on my wish list. And, uh, you know, they both sit in the Garfield games uh, category. And so I think I'm going to pick Raiders of the North Sea. Yeah, just from how pretty it looked the other night. Yeah, I think I would have gone down this route of getting these if you hadn't already done Explorers some time ago. So yeah, yeah, and also the ridiculous difficulty I had of getting any of the of the West Kingdom to the table. <laughs> All right, but now Thanks. I know that there's cool. a games club that want to play Raiders of the North. Sure, sea. sure, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Well, I'm back in. Okay, Neil, what's your eight and final pick for now yeah i'm really really torn here because i guess i can uh i can um think out loud because there's no one left to pick i don't know whether to go something really really heavy so like a guy project or maybe even like a, a liz boa or a you know something like that i don't know whether to go for a imperial assault i think that would be a mm-hmm. good one to have in the collection yeah i think um I wouldn't have said this a few months ago, but we've been really, really enjoying it lately. And the eighth place uh, in a game where you can come in eighth place is going to go to heat. Oh, oh, petal okay. to the medal. Okay, because I think that rounds my I think that rounds my little collection off quite nicely. We are going to pick one more, but just as a quick reminder, for listener at home, Neil, you've got Scythe, Cascadia, Twilight Imperium, Sleeping Gods, Root, Castles of Burgundy, Great Western Trail. And heat pedal to the metal. Paul, you're looking at Brass Birmingham, Orleans, Clank, Crokinole, Mage Knight, Quacks of Quedlinburg, War of the Ring, Second Edition, and Raiders of the North Sea. By far from... the best set of. Uh... <laughs> They're both really strong, those, aren't they? Uh, and then I've got June Imperium, Pandemic Legacy Season One, Seven Wonders Duel, Nemesis, Twilight Struggle, A Feast for Odin, Wingspan, and Everdell. Okay. So in a minute, we're going to do something with those. But for now, I want you to pick one more game. This ninth game is going to be chucked into a tombola of games, which we will all be drawing from in a minute to add to our collections. So it is your choice. You can choose to be friendly and put something nice in here and hope that you get it, or maybe you just help your fellow man. Alternatively, you can be really mean and put something in that you really don't want in the hope that you've got a, uh, you know, one out of three chance of, of picking it. But so, these are just being randomly drawn, aren't they? They'll be randomly drawn alongside well, something one else. One in three chance of getting this. They will be randomly drawn. Maybe I'll explain this now. 
with a random loss of one of your other eight games. So in a minute, I'm going to rob you of one of your eight games at random, which we'll put into the pot and we will draw these out with our ninth picks. And you may draw one or two games out during that. So, Neil, do you want to be nice or do you want to be nasty? It's a no-brainer, and that's going to be Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> if I get it, I'll be happy. If not, you'll be happy that someone else has got it because we'll play it with you. <laughs> okay, good. Paul? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pick uh, a game I played once and never want to play again. I know exactly what you're going to say. Puerto Rico. Oh, no, I didn't. Is that in the top 100? Yeah, 41. Yeah. For all the racists out there. Okay. Well, what did you I think I was going to pick? thought that you were going to pick, I'm going to pick. Because I think for some people, this will be the greatest game in the collection. I know for three, us three, we will think it is the millstone around your neck. And that is Ark Nova. Oh, Thomas. <laughs> right. So this will have to have some now severe editing as I input all of this in there. Computer noises. All right. So what we're looking at here now is that we're going to take uh, firstly Neil's first eight picks and I'm going to put them into my random generator to see which of these eight lovely games he's going to lose. So I'm hoping it's Root, if that's any help. Oh, my God, it's so close. I really should have had this up on the screen so you could see. It was very, very close to Root, so I'm afraid you would lost Sleeping Gods. But you may have a chance to win it back later. How exciting. Okay, Paul, you're set. So of your eight lovely games that you've spent time picking, I'm now going to rob. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about this. Mage Knight is going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me question why it was in there in the first place. Uh <laughs> Right. I I'm not trying to show my hand to it. It's my poker face. <laughs> Inside, you're like, <laughs> right. Of mine. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. It's June Imperium. Oh, is it? <gasps> oh, it's in the pot. Oh, I don't like that at all. Okay. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to keep the order. Uh, so start with you, Neil. You are now, we've got this exciting pot of games to to pick from there's six games here and you will be able to draw one or two to make your collection eight or nine games again yeah. all right so neil all right, your, the one you, the one you have to take is going to be oh you son of a gun you've got sleeping gods back i don't believe it. i don't believe it now, there is a very righteous part of me that just says, right, just stick there because that's the collection that you wanted and just be happy of it and then you haven't got any of this chaos to worry about. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to roll again and get June Imperium. Okay. He's rolling I think again. Net, He's rolling again, I think folks. Net, that can only be but the only game that I think would make that worse would be Puerto Rico. Which some people love, so who knows? Sure. <laughs> All right, I'm spinning. I think you got away with it. You got Mage Knight. So yeah. you're. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I'm going to take Mage Knight and I'm going to sell it on eBay and I'm going to buy a coffee of June Imperium. <laughs> All right. So, 
Paul, you have remaining in the pot of destiny. Dune Imperium, Battlestar Galactica, Puerto Rico, and Arc Nova. Your I only want must one. Have There's only one of those four I want. Pick is going to be. This is going to be Dune Imperium, isn't oh, it? It's so good. Puerto Rico. It's Puerto Rico. Oh dear. He's got the racist game. Right. Would you, Paul, like to try and redeem that? Yeah, I'm going to have to take a picture of this because you're not going to believe me. The next game that you have picked up, Paul, I'm sending to you via message right now. And it is, of course, Ark Nova. <laughs> Very unhappy is about it. That's t- just absolutely rooted your uh, your collection. I, think. I mean, so... for what it's worth, I'm editing this podcast. And I'm changing this. <laughs> oh, Paul, you happen to get June Imperium. So, so you're just going to have you. the last two nice games? That oh, Tom, is there, yeah, I was going to say, is there so, any world where you'd spin it once, get Dune Imperium oh, and stick? Let me think, guys. What shall I do? I think I'll have both, please, Bob. So I will take Dune Imperium and Battlestar Galactica. All right. Biggest Zoom loogie in my face if you'd, like, turn <laughs> down free Battlestar Galactica. So the final... Uh, Final collections that we've got then are Neil with Scythe, Cascadia, Twilight Imperium, Root, Castles of Burgundy, Great Western Trail, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, Sleeping Gods, and Mage Knights. And Paul has got Brass Birmingham, Orleans, Clank, Crokinole, Quacks of Quedlinburg, War of the Ring, Raiders of the North Sea, Puerto Rico, and Arc Nova. Uh, and my collection ends up as Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Seven Wonders Duel, Nemesis, Twilight Struggle, A Feast for Odin, Wingspan, Everdell, Dune Imperium, and Battlestar Galactica. So those were our uh, collections. Um, three very solid lists of games, more or less. The plan is now that we'll submit these to our Discord server to vote on which is the best and reveal the winner on a future episode. If you want to get involved in that voting, Jump on our Discord via our website or contact us on Instagram or Twitter and we'll send you an invite. So today we're talking about a big one, the Undaunted system of games as a whole. These originally came out back in 2019 with Undaunted Normandy, uh, designed by Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson and published by Osprey Games. Uh, all of the Undaunted games to date are set in various theatres of war in the, in the Second World War, so uh, Normandy came first. Uh, and in Normandy, you're tracking the events during the uh, during and following the D-Day landing in June 44. Uh, but then in 2020, they released uh, Undaunted North Africa, um, which gives you access to the uh, the African theatres from both points of view. Um, then they released uh, what they called their reinforcement pack uh, in 2021, and that was designed to bolster both of the two games. Uh, In 2022, they released the monster that is Undaunted Stalingrad, uh, and this follows the events of 1942 uh, in uh, in Stalingrad and is in a bit more of a legacy game format, I guess more, not legacy, more of a campaign format, right? It it links together, but I guess there are legacy elements that you blow up a certain building in, in February, then in the next game, that building's not there anymore. Sure. Uh, and then finally, last year in or this year, sorry, in 2023, we got Undaunted Battle of Britain, where we take to the skies above France uh, and Britain 
uh, and this includes things like the retreat from Dunkirk uh, and 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 the competition for aerial control over the beaches, fields and cities of England. Um, the games all follow a fairly similar game system. So perhaps one of you guys wants to lead us off uh, and tell us about what players are actually going to be doing in these games. Well, they're, they're basically deck building games, right? That you um, have a starting deck of cards, which will represent a... Uh, a certain number of the units that you can get and depending on the scenario there'll be more or less of those and through the gameplay you are going to use those cards to play to move your units around the board um, but also you can add mostly add you can remove as well but mostly add to that that deck as you're going through so that could be adding in more uh, cards from the same squad or it could be adding new units altogether on the game board which is slightly varies but it's uh, in in each of those of the series, but you basically got a uh, set of um, cardboard uh, squares or you know uh, bases that you're going to put out across to create your map, uh, and you know you've got I don't know 40, 50 or, of these in total in the game, and then you're just going to arrange them in different sequences, double sided, so you've got a different looking map on there. You'll have different objectives that are set, and largely, and certainly if we think about the first one anyway, in Normandy it's fairly straightforward there. You've got objectives on the map. You are going to play your cards to move your units to capture those objectives. Perhaps we won't go into the nitty gritty about how that's done necessarily, but you'll uh, go there and do that. As units get shot out of your deck, uh, a card, a soldier, you know, on the, on those cards, it's not just a soldier. It is the soldier with the, the, with the name on it and everything. So that guy is killed and taken out of your deck, gradually thinning, thinning the, the deck out. Um, but again, as I say, you can kind of add more cards in. However, once all of one of those squads, let's say a squad has been depleted, that is then removed uh, from the game. The token on the board is removed from the game as well. That changes a little bit as you go through some of those others in the series beyond uh, Normandy. Most notably, the biggest change is in Battle of Britain, where those become um, planes and uh, there are you know slightly different ways in, in the way in which that's going to work and you're going to approach the game but still ultimately it's a deck of cards that you've got that rep then is represented on the the board by individual tokens that you are moving around uh, hex to hex in that in that case there's sort of little stories as you're going through which you know absolutely what has been done to its greatest version through Stalingrad so far it's still there all the way through I think that that unit uh that you know you you recognizing that even if it's you know your, your spitfire pilot that you are achieving victory through that guy on that one and then that mission and then you're going forward and doing that one or if it's been within a mission the story that individual pilot it sort of gives you the personification and gives you the bit that i love right which is the the theme and, and what we're we're trying to to simulate or play out so we we've, we've talked quite a lot about stalingrad in um in the last in the last year because it's been quite a big game for for the two of us mm. but normandy certainly the one that got us into the series and i think actually for for normandy you and you know the two of you guys played that together uh loads over tts didn't you Tons. yeah masses i think it the way it builds as well adding extra extra units and kind of extra tension and it it's just balanced so nicely isn't it mm. um i think the only thing that lets the game down sometimes is uh tom your dice rolling <laughs> i had such bad luck in that when we were playing it first time through like i swear i think i played as the germans didn't i 
and then you know just we played it all the way through barely barely won a, a, a game and we started to play it back through the other way and clearly the americans were easy mode uh all the way through <laughs> suddenly managed to roll much better for, on that one yeah i yeah i think i think normandy is brilliant and they make the game feel very thematic so all the missions have got some pre-mission gumph to read about you know what's actually going on with this battle and they are based on historical conflicts so you can kind of immerse yourself maybe feel a bit more part of it um and even though obviously in stalingrad as you said um the the characters depending on injuries or upgrades they they will change as the game goes along mm. but even in normandy and and all the others all the characters are named you know, there is individual artwork for each person and they've got their own little name. Um, they make it quite clear that they're not they're not based on anyone specific that fought in any of those conflicts. But it could have been so easy with, you know, your rifleman to have just cards with generic riflemen throughout the deck, right? But they've gone to that extra length of adding individual artwork and i think it's those little touches that really make these games yeah, yeah it's such a massive point right it could just have been like they're your rifleman cards they're your gunner cards and they're just cards ha absolutely hit the nail on the head here and so so tom you recently uh i think while you're waiting for someone else to arrive to a game night you introduced dave to this yeah, and I think he was someone who was a little bit apprehensive about it because he thought, oh, war game, you know, is this just going to be really um, difficult rules-wise and something I'm maybe not going to be so into? And we played uh, North Africa, which I've only ever played the first couple of missions of. It's sort of been behind Stalingrad and then we got excited about Battle of Britain, so we've been playing that and it's still sitting behind there for you and I, Neil, um, for our in-person plays. Um, but he had a really good time with it. We played that first mission, which is very straightforward. Um, but I think this is one of the things that one, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it really is to encourage people to to get on board and have a go because it's such a good entry point, I think, to um, that side of the hobby. It doesn't necessarily need to lead to, you know, getting into Heroes of Normandy or Combat Commander or bolt action or something like that or North Africa. Or, you know does it <laughs> that's the absolutely extreme of where it could end up probably um it could do and if it does fantastic um but i think there is um a little bit like we were talking about last episode i think with some maybe some of the train game 18xx stuff i think that this side of the hobby as well can seem a bit like a bit stuffy and excessively nerdy and complicated um but actually there are some really really good games in this genre that are i can think can be mass appeal even if it's just not something you're very very interested in the history of it or anything like that it's still a fun game to play and this series is so good the point you're making paul as well about normandy being a great uh entry point within the series and the way in which it sort of ramps up the rules and what you're doing you see that across all the games but i think normandy probably does it best of what i've seen so far um it's it just it's, it's something I'm obviously very passionate about and talk about it a lot. Uh, but there's so many good uh, games to play in in this um, in this genre, and Undaunted is just the perfect entry point. 
for that. It's the gateway game for for historical war gaming for me. It's probably won't make the effort. I don't think you're allowed to say you got a favourite bit of World War Two, but the the, the North African theatre certainly is the whole kind of yeah that that that's long range desert group uh, versus the Italians. It's, this is a, a, another thing that I love about this series, which they've done so well and just makes me excited for whatever they do in the future. Um, David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin is that they've all they're all basically got. At, at its heart the same dna as we're saying is that deck building element in the way in which you move around the board but they've done so well to add something that just makes them different enough as you go through we haven't ever done reinforcements we'll talk about that separately in a minute perhaps but normandy starts you off fairly straightforward the units that you've got um sure introduce some new things to you but it's the the basics basically north africa then same sort of thing, but this time you've got one side which is a bit more traditional, um, uh, you know, army, the Italians there, that ver- plays very much really like the Americans and Germans do in, in Normandy. But then you've got long-range desert group, which are a bit more about, uh, you know, stealthy, getting in, blow stuff up, you know, sniper on the hill kind of situations rather than anything else. So it so changes up the, the dynamic of what you're doing there by adding a lot more um uh asynchronous sort of play that's not what i mean asymmetric play which normally wasn't it was exactly the same you had two armies that were exactly the same basically um short per scenario stalingrad campaign talk some more about that perhaps in a minute uh battle of britain you know big change it's in it's in the air you've got to deal with the fact that these planes are always moving your units have to keep moving the plane can't just drop out of the sky absolutely genius the way they just added a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit of difference uh every single one it's so clever stalingrad though as a uh a point then so this campaign that they put together um, you know no secret it's just just one of my favorite games ever this but we had so much and i'm going to repeat what we've done before neil but it's so much fun with this game right over yeah, sort of three it was months an absolute hoot, wasn't it it was mm-hmm. It was great. And it was good to to see it through as well and to get it done. And it never felt like a chore. It was always exciting to play the next level. It was a genuine shame when it was over. Yeah, yeah it was really good. I must say, if I if I had to offer my first critique of the of the of the the the, the series, mm-hmm. I definitely prefer the ground-based combat to the air-based. I think, or whether I just don't get it, but my I'm just on the ground, I can see a building. I know, maybe it's. I just suck at the. I just suck at Battle of Britain, but you know, on the ground, I'm like, sweet, get to that building, set it up, you know, get get some cover going, get some whatever going. Like, fine. I, I guess. I guess I'm just. I'm just an army over RAF kind of guy. If I were uh, to get thrown into it, because clearly, I suck as a pilot, and I just. Which is ironic, because then when it goes to uh, space battles, you, you absolutely trounce me every single time. So, <laughs> so talking of space battles, how are we? Oh, what a segue! What a segue! What a segue! Undaunted twenty two hundred Callisto. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they, they've not released enough, but I'm excited. I'm in. I'm sold. Right. So, what is it? What What do we know? It's undaunted in space. <laughs> In 2022, uh, that's basically all we know, right? No, not 22, 22, 24. 22, 22, 2200 coming out. 2200. That's it. 
Gosh, um, yeah, we don't know a huge amount, but what they have said mm. is it's the, the two-player game that you kind of know. They're also introducing a four-player option, and there's going to be a solo player mode. A solo player mode? I'd missed yeah. that. Ooh. Yeah, I missed that. So that looks really good. Ooh. I like the idea of four-player, for sure. Well, this It'd is one of... It'd be great if they did that. Sorry, Tom. It would be great if they did that a la Unmatched almost, right? Yes, sure, sure. And so, so like this I is control A squadron, you control B squadron. Yeah. Right, that I think that reinforcements does. So that is the one of those that have come out that we've never touched. It, I think, for Normandy and North Africa, gives you a whole load of new missions and things like that. So it's kind of, you know, you got more more of the same. Maybe I can't dismiss it like that because of what I was saying before of it being so good. But it also gives you uh, vehicles to use in Normandy, and also introduces a two v two uh game to i think both normandy definitely normandy but i think also north africa as well which would be really fun to go uh, and have a go with so going back to something you mentioned neil and not necessarily world war Two, but it could be if they were to bring out a uh an undaunted of your choice is there a particular conflict would you like them to go historical i mean tom you and i are gonna get into some napoleonic gaming you know, I was just about to say undaunted Napoleonics because surely there's so much <laughs> like you could almost you could almost base it on Napoleon, right? And go through all of the the various you'd have to zoom out. I think that's the problem, yeah. is that one of the things about um Undaunted is there's a you know, you've got like a platoon. It's it's squad-based tactical combat, right? And and most of the stuff that Paul and I will learn all too soon about the Napoleonic stuff, it's lines of of yeah. of troops in in a row right i mean i guess there probably was some small scale stuff but that's what it's most known for yeah so it doesn't have to be but but what would you like to see then me or neil still either of you or we could have some awkward silence so <laughs> i think that you know there is a you know a mine of of stuff that you could do um in in the second world war i'm certain that they will do something like a, a market garden arnhem thing at some point i would imagine i can't believe that they wouldn't do although it's it's osprey which is a british firm which you know if we look at how we think about world war ii we don't really think about the pacific that much but i'm sure they'll do something in the pacific at some point u.s marines uh, versus um, entrenched Japanese, but also I wouldn't be surprised if they went a bit into Vietnam or something like that. It just would that's seem like it that... massively lends itself to to that sort of thing. That's Vietnam would be say. very undaunted Vietnam. Mm. So, um, so, 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 you're in on the theme. So, what are would we say some lighter alternatives? So, let's say I've got someone who's a massive, uh, war, you know, historian, but fairly new to war gaming. So, what's something really, really light? That we could try them on that 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 might be uh, a good segue, you know, prior to Undaunted. Or let's say Undaunted's too heavy for someone and they want a lighter experience. What are we going to give them? So you might disagree with me on a lighter experience. It's a big game, but actually, it's really simple. It would be something like Memoir Forty Four. Yeah, it's a great shout. Tom, you could buy that for the nineteenth time. <laughs> Well, then, then I can get it to the 20th, which is when they give you the medal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a good call. Um, the, you know, it's just a bit of a no-brainer. Maybe slightly extend that out to some of the other commanding colours, but I think the, the Memoir 44 is by far the most accessible of all those, and we've had a good time with it. Again, I think that's maybe the other point to just go on. I think 
you know, we're none of us like mega, mega hex encounter war gamers, but, um, you know, I think this series has a lot for, uh, for people, the beginning or kind of fairly, fairly into the, into the hobby as well. Tricky though, is that like the tactical stuff. And this is that, and you know, I just maybe don't have a wide enough knowledge of the hobby, but the tactical stuff so often is really complicated up to, you know, you guys heard of advanced squad leader ASL. Mm-hmm. That is just this thing that's been around since the seventies. I think is incredibly, as far as I can see, complicated and impenetrable um series of you know troops moving around and there's there are hundreds of tactical games i've never really seen one that has the same kind of simple element so i think i'm I'm kind of with you in needing to to draw some sort of comparison to go to other simpler war games and you know even some of the stuff that we played on on rally like 300 earth and water being there long way removed from something like undaunted but again super simple little cubes on the map yep. uh war game but it also i think uh, going too far down into the coin route is you know just starts to get very much more complicated uh and something like fire in the lake is a long way away from it but i do think things something along the lines of of cuba libre is is on the simpler end it's not too difficult um to to be getting your head around and, I, and I, i'm afraid i don't know a lot about them at the moment but i know that there are also a smaller series kind of meant to be a little bit more focused which is um it's called kind of cousins of of the coin series as well which are which are out as well which are kind of focused on even two player games there's one called um the british way uh, which is uh, coming up fairly recently, um, which are again kind of that counterinsurgency, um, but I think they're intended to be on the the slightly simpler coin uh, coin element. I look at it now; it's still got a weight of three ten <laughs> on BGG, so maybe it's not that simple. Right, and maybe just just touching, you're dead right about the 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 coin stuff. Do you maybe do you maybe get there via a few games of root or or yeah. You know, you play Root and then you have a game of Pax Premier and then... and then. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah, definitely. And then, look, there's a whole other world that maybe we won't start talking about of, of other minis that are the, like, Wings of Glory stuff, Bolt Action, all those kind of things that actually are not not, not too complicated. We, we don't really know how to play Bolt Action, but at UK Games at Expo, we threw, threw a few dice for half an hour. Didn't we, Paul? And it was... Uh, it, it it was fine. It's, it was fairly right. straightforward. Um, and where am I going with this? I think what I'm saying is that those, I would encourage somebody to kind of go down that route, but that feels like a long way away that if I think you can get into your undaunted series series from its, its deck building and simple combat, which I haven't really talked about. It's just roll of the dice. Um, Fairly similar, where something like bolt action does feel very remote from uh, from from y- y- Everdell, uh, uh, you know, my city, uh, June Imperium sort of player. Right? Yeah, absolutely. All righty. So if we had to put a score, so normally we do this about a certain game, right? And we give the game a score. If you had to put a score on the whole of the Undaunted series as a one-er, what's that score going to be, Paul? Oh, it's really tough. Um, I think. I'm going to go at 8.5. I think I think the series is good. Um, I'm actually really enjoying Planes. I think they've done really well to, you know, 
tweak tweak something like that. I don't feel I've played enough Stalingrad to I think we've done what two campaigns, uh, two of the two of the missions. Um, I feel I need to play that a bit more to really get to grips with that campaign element. Um, but yeah, eight point five. Good, Tom. I'm going to try and keep this short. I just think it's so good. I think anyone should have a go. It's a ten. I think this this series Ooh. is, and it's funny because when it was, uh, keep it short, Jesus. <laughs> when I first played Normandy, I didn't get it, but having played them so much more now, I, I think it's the the Undaunted series has provided some of the most interesting and fun board game play I've had in the last few years. Ten. Yeah, good. Okay, I think I'm somewhere between you guys. So uh, as a system. I think I've put it as a nine. So, so uh, I think, yeah, they're great. They're such good games. They're such good games. I'm not sold by the idea of Callisto, if I'm honest. I don't know. I don't know. We'll give it a go. I'm, but yeah, I'm I'm not as on board on it because much prefer the historical setting. But it's it's a little bit like their their new game, um, General Orders. I kind of looked at it and thought, oh, I'm not completely sure I'm, I'm I'm in love with that in the same way. But it's the same duo. They've done this so well. Just got to give it a go, really. Have the faith. Trust in Thompson and Benjamin. Yeah. Great. So that was the Undaunted System of Games, probably one of our joint favourites uh, and one we hope that you might like to check out, uh, whether it's on a casual basis with a friend uh, or whether you fancy taking it on a much grander experience with the likes of Stalingrad, uh, we love it. Uh, and we hope someone from Osprey is listening and sends us Callisto to try. <laughs> well, I think you two are very middling, whereas I was very keen on Callisto. So if you're going to send it, people, up to the north, please. <laughs> so thank you for listening to our best bits. We hope you've enjoyed them and we will see you next time. See ya. I'm having my one!